Down! Get a hold of yourself! Calm down, now get back to your seat. I'll take care of this Calm down! Get a hold of yourself! Oh, do you want another phone? Everything's gonna be full of right Sister, please now handle this. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Saturday, October 29th, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. Important stuff, as always, to cover today. I don't think it'll be a long one. I know you guys see in the chat, you guys are hoping for a long show. I don't think it'll be that long. As I'm actively trying to make it shorter, we got it under two hours yesterday. I think that's an improvement, but the information I'm in, I'm still doing my best to make as, as packed in as possible. We're going to talk about Twitter today again to start off. Now, what's interesting is somebody commented yesterday, and I mean, it's, it's a funny comment, and I give him credit for that, where I said I'm trying to, you know, trying to do this quicker and trying to save my time and then made fun of me for talking about Elon Musk for 15 minutes. <laughs> And as I said, well, I understand why you're confused if you think that that was about Elon Musk. And that was my point in a little bit of a quip back at it. But the point, nonetheless, is the first topic we're going to start off today with and, and the conversation yesterday, despite it being centralized around Elon Musk and Twitter, is not about Elon Musk specifically. It's about what this is and what this is being used to accomplish or what it's being used to distract from or what it is being used to funnel you into. And Elon Musk could just be a cent- you know, a, a player in this. He could be the central player in this discussion, or he could just be a passing part in it or not related at all. I mean, ultimately, I don't know. But it's this is not discussing some Elon Musk Twitter partisan conversation as much as that how it appears to a lot of people that don't see the real importance of what this is, especially because of what Twitter essentially is to the conversation today, whether or not we want that to be the case. It's an important conversation for how this goes forward and how it's being framed already. But we're also going to talk about the uh, the excess death conversation, I guess, is the best way to frame it. But really kind of lapping, or, uh, not lapping in, uh, um, bringing in the conversation from the neonatal conversation from Scotland. But this has to do with the, Uni- the United Kingdom specifically planning for up, apparently potential excess death in the winter which you should realize immediately why that is so ridiculously just in, I mean, I don't even know what the best word for that is wrong, deceptive, outright covering up what's going on because at this moment they're dealing with confusing and unexplainable excess death. So why aren't they having trouble now? If that's exactly what they're saying might happen. You see my point? It's very ridiculous. And they're, and it's exposing that they're just trying to set up the next narrative. That's not really about whether there's excess death. It's about making you think there will be and how they can use that. It's very interesting. Now we're also going to get into a, the overlap of the injections as we've been talking about nonstop since it happened, because it's important to realize how dangerous these things are. And this part's about cancer and, and how that is being increased along with everything else because of these injections. But we're going to talk about the tridemic. Not making this up. This is now what's being discussed. The twindemic was, which, you know, the thing that never seems to happen, but they always hype. And then, oh, COVID. Now they're saying, whoa, the tridemic, COVID, flu, 
and RSV. Well, what about tuberculosis? What about pneumonia? Ah, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Keep focusing on what we want you to look at. What's, which is funny is, is simultaneously you got articles saying we're worried about a twindemic, whether or not COVID's there. So how can we have one? How can you have two people in both in, in this conversation arguing that that might be all three of them? I mean, it's just it's all about hyping up the fear and keeping you worried about whatever might happen. This is what we talk about with that document, which is worst case scenarios instead of balanced risk assessment. That's what the WHO was calling them out for. And those people got shuttled aside and now they're still doing that, which is the important part here. We're also going to talk about RSV. The respiratory, uh, what was it again? Um, what's uh, syntax virus, I believe, synactical virus. And we're going to talk about how this is interestingly being used in this tridemic conversation and why that's very interesting. Now we're going to finish with a really important part. Hopefully that first section won't take incredibly long. So I wanted to focus a little bit more on the foreign policy today about the hypocrisy of it all. Just overwhelming, which is not new, but what this specifically in regard to the Iran protests, Ukraine, everything else, the overlap there, it's just painful as they're still trying to hype the idea that Putin is threatening nuclear war, despite him literally saying that it's off the table. And then when they still push and go, are you what what do you have to say about potentially killing everybody with nuclear war? And the guy just goes, really? And then the, the, the title becomes he smiles when asked about nuclear war. It's just it's childish, cartoonish. Not even to say that it's not possible that he could do that. But the way that they're framing it makes it impossible to take it seriously. We'll go through all this today and much, much more, I'm sure. But to start off with Twitter, which I do think is important to this conversation or the, the general conversation here is oh, that's frustrating. <laughs> Give me a second. I, I, if you guys are noticing for those in the podcast, I have, uh, I drives me crazy when the window is not perfectly lined up and it wasn't right there. I don't know why as I did it before. Anyway, starting off with Twitter. This is an important conversation because of exactly what this first tweet says and where this seems to be going. And as I was saying before, just it's important to be objective that even if I had a great conversation about this with Courtney Turner today, which I'll be posting tomorrow, even if everything goes the other direction and all the people that were censored, including myself, all get brought back on the cha- on Twitter and everything it, that we should go. Yay. Good. And, and call that out and say, good for him. He's did what we perceive to be right decisions and actions, but still question what happens next. Why can't why can't we just maintain a level of objectivity even in regard to people that are quote on our side or on the the partisan side people choose? I, it's just it's it, that's that's a choice somewhere along the line to take them at face value to believe well there must be an explanation for why that happened. Well, why would we ever do that? Why would we ever give these people the benefit of the doubt? Whether politicians, media, elitists, technocrats, I don't know. I'm hoping we can st- we can drive that into people in the partisan discussion here's what alan mcleod added to this and i think this is just i mean almost a low-hanging fruit that people don't want to look at but good for him for this is a good thread you should read this since elon has now bought this website i think it's important to highlight how he is not some radical outsider which is that the, the right beginning to paint him as but a crucial part of the u.s surveillance and national security states now, you could argue, well, what about what, what about what's going on with Ukraine and the Starlink and how the U.S. government seems to be challenging this or doing that? Those are good points. Just because those are there, though, does not then by default mean he's on the other side. This is the equivalent of saying, oh, look, his channel was censored. Therefore, everything he says is true. Or alternatively, he's never been censored. Therefore, he's a shill. That's possible, but pretty juvenile. Because you're assuming, of course. Makes an ass of you and me, right? Same point here. 
We need to realize that even like the choices and everything else, it may not mean what we think it does or maybe being done. So we think that all possible. But this you should, this is a, a good thread. But the links and his, and his, and his actual article, they're, they're, this is important information. Um, I'll leave this for you guys to go through. We're going to go not spend too much time on this going over articles and so on. But just asking yourself whether or not there's more to this and what that means. Now, it's certainly possible that he's just going along with what he thinks is profitable, what he thinks we want to see, what he thinks is cool. All these are possible. But I think it's really hard to miss this very obvious connections he has to exactly what we're concerned about. And all I want is people to realize that that's concerning, whether or not he's doing what feels right for one side of the illusion paradigm. Now, what I want people to see, though, well, actually, I forgot. I'll start with this because this isn't the best way to start this. So he spoke up today and said, or technically it was 22 hours ago, so I guess maybe yesterday or late last night. It says, to be super clear, we have not made any changes to Twitter's content moderation policies. That's it's he's even feeling the need to say that because it seems like it just like we did made fun of way back in the beginning when it was just floated that he might buy Twitter and everyone's like, Oh my God, the whole world changed today. Bots are gone and I'm all everything. No censorship. Well, that didn't happen. It didn't happen every time so far. They've said that, but they still do. It doesn't mean something's not, something isn't happening. Double negatives. <laughs> it could mean that it could be that there are people involved in the company that are changing their actions because they see the writing on the wall. It could be that Musk is doing something and he's lying about it. Right? There's always all sorts of possibilities. But what's interesting is he's stating he hasn't done anything. And what's funny is somebody responds and that goes, but, but the bot activity went down by 80% from my observation. They're all right. How is that possible? You know, it's just funny. Well, he just said he didn't do anything. So we kind of have to take that at face value at the moment. But it could be any number of the things that I just said. Again, it could be that the Twitter people seeing the executives fired are like, whoa, I'm going to take a beat here and not you know, conduct my censorship activities the way I have been. Certainly possible. Regardless of all of that, it's still happening, though. Now, there's a lot of people acting like things are different, acting like no more censorship and we won and so on, like I just said. But this tweet you're looking at that's no longer there was Scott Ritter. Here's the actual tweet itself on the Wayback Machine, which I love that some people save these things on the Wayback Machine so we can find them. And as you can see, it said, I'm back. Test, test, test. Bucha was a war crime. Ukraine did it. Test, test, test. And he's right. We went over this. Oh, wait. Uh, oh, you know what? I have it. Ah, it doesn't matter. I, I think I brought it up over here. No, I'll come back. I don't think I, I this this it's not necessarily related to the foreign policy section we're going to get into. But we covered this extensively in regard to what actually happened in Bucha and and. He and Scott Ritter saying the same thing. I mean, this this is very clearly a cover up, an action that was committed by Ukraine that the, the Maxar Technologies, the CIA cut out, lie about what they were able to see, knowing their satellites weren't even in place to be able to take the pictures at the time they said they did. We went over this in the show. The point is that this is correct, and he's testing the waters, and he was censored. So is that Elon Musk? Well, no, he just said he's not doing it, but he could be lying. Or it could be somebody that's already doing what they, or it could be AI. I mean, any of the numbers of things. The point is that it's still happening right now. And his account still seems to be there, but he was censored on Twitter for pointing out who actually was behind what took place in Bucha in Ukraine. And I said this, by the way, and it's still there. So it's interesting. We'll see what happens. National file, of course, with the ridiculous framing of the children that they are. RIP Twitter, 2006 to 2022, dead at the hands of Elon Musk. You mean like it's dead now because he simply took over? I mean, what exact actions have been taken that you feel means he's going to do this or that? Well, none. So simply because Elon Musk steps in, it's dead? I mean, he's not even this alt-right figure that they paint him as. 
I mean, the guy is openly and aggressively supporting the Ukraine agenda while still playing the whole Starlink back and forth, which I'm not buying necessarily. But either way, how do you argue that this is it's just it's childish, isn't it? It's because they know the political winds are blowing in the direction of, oh, the right took over Twitter. And now, and they're going to use this, by the way. Now, I'm not even going to get into the whole Pelosi distraction. I mean, I'm not whether that was meant to be or not. That's what it's serving as right now. Now, there's a lot of very interesting stuff around the Pelosi conversation. It's all super weird. It's probably some weird sex party gone awry and they cover it up with this story. I'm just guessing into the wind. I think it's just funny how there's so many things that don't make sense. The phone call, he was in his underwear. I mean, we are all, all these points are everywhere and everyone's talking about it. I don't think it's important to, to take away from what's going on today. But it's interesting. Like personally, I, I had a whole section lined up for it. And I was like, why am I talking about this? It's just because it's very interesting to see how there's a lot that doesn't line up. And what it's at, and what you know, it's confusing, and and why he called him a friend on the nine one one call, uh, all this weird stuff. But what's funny is this kind of thing, or rather the the there was a connection there that I was going to make, and I just lost it. It's the idea that that well, whether it's distraction or whatever else, I think the point was that just that there's so much going on that's trying to pull you away from larger stories. That wasn't my point. There was something I was going to say. Regardless, this is funny to me because. They're acting like this is over, that he killed it, despite nothing actually happening yet. And that just shows you the kind of partisan mindset they're applying to this, despite the fact that that's not even... Oh, that's that's what it was. It's I'm glad I remembered this, because they're already framing this guy. And that was the main reason I was going to get into it, as the alt-right, you know, COVID conspiracy, even though other than some posts they claim are his... On his account, or rather the, the blogs they claim are his, despite them proving that they are his, are the main meat of why they're saying it's all this alt-right stuff. But everything about his life seems to suggest the other one. The bottom line is, it's going to line up for the direction of the white supremacy, vanilla ISIS, bad guy, lone shooter, all the stuff we've been dumping this into. And that's how this relates as well. If you think they're going to frame Twitter as now being some kind of overtaken entity that's allowing white supremacy and racism and like the same dumb way that they frame all Republicans or MAGA people, they want to take away your right to do this and they want to make you not be able to marry who you want. And that's not that's completely made up. Like you can argue there are plenty of people in the political side that have very strict opinions about abortion and marriage and everything else. But that's not necessarily this very obvious, everybody in MAGA wants all these talking points. So that's where this is going to go, in my opinion. Just wait for it. Twitter will become an alt-right thing to them because if it ends up in the direction it goes. I mean, I'm not even sold on this being exactly what it appears to be now. Now, here's a great video that's put out by Spiro today that I want to play it perfectly encapsulates what I want to get into. So I'm just going to play it because this is exactly what we should be considering. And I love this video because he's not saying, oh, this is exactly what I think. I think this play devil's advocate. Thank God, some objectivity. We can ask questions without pretend, you know, diving into the story. We need to be able to look at both sides of this and ask ourselves what's actually going on. So take a listen to this and then we'll finish with the very, what I think is an obvious kind of funnel gateway into the digital ID ecosystem and why elon musk seems to be perfectly paired up with the whole great reset direction maybe we're being set up we should be asking these questions did elon musk buy twitter well he claims he did it for the love of humanity and to restore free speech he promises to reinstate accounts with lifetime bans like perhaps president trump and he's already fired top executives from the company now this sounds great right i mean we should all be champions for free speech uh, many are cheering this unprecedented move I'm going to play devil's advocate. Now, Musk recently stated that buying Twitter is an accelerant to creating X, the everything app. 
While Musk has yet to elaborate on what exactly the X app will be, many speculate that it'll be similar to WeChat, which provides users with services from payments to virtually everything that all other apps have to offer combined into one. Well, that right there in and of itself sounds like a digital identification vaccine passport overlap. But don't forget that Musk already on the record with some podcast was speaking about WeChat comparison and said, yeah, yeah, like that. Like very now he could just be saying that. And Elon Musk often seems to speak in the direction of what he think people's people wants to hear. Like he's, he's a salesman. That's what I mean. He's good at it, too, at least, you know, verbally. But at the end of the day, that is exactly what we're afraid of. Exactly. The one-stop shop, all of your transactions, all of your engagement, which can just be shut off by whoever has control of that. Now, whether he means for that to happen or not, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because right now it's happening. Now, somebody points out he carries in the sink because his whole joke was, let that sink in, <laughs> which uh, made me chuckle. I, I love those kind of dumb jokes, but it just it, he's very good about making himself the center of the conversation in any topic. Now, leading up to this purchase of Twitter, must express deep concern with the amount of bots on the platform and the influence they may have. So if Musk plans to purge Twitter of all the bots and integrant payments and possibly cryptocurrencies, they would need to implement KYC or Know Your Customer, which is mm. the mandatory process banks use for identifying and verifying customers' identities. Now, of course, it's meant to keep us safe from money laundering and all that kind of stuff. And many crypto exchanges have adopted this policy, and it's regulated by government agencies, basically. So the question is, is it possible that Elon's purchase of Twitter will move us closer to a digital ID uh -huh. and more centralization? Yes. I don't think we can rule it out at this point, especially when you take into consideration that digital IDs are part of the World Economic Forum's fourth industrial revolution, which, of course, falls under the Great Reset. And according to this 2008 Bloomberg article, Elon Musk was a graduate of the World Economic Forum's Young Global Leader Program. Now, that's super important. Despite what people try to say about what that means, you, you can read into it as much as you want. And you should. You should ask what that truly means behind the scenes. But just on the surface, we're talking about the fact that people like Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum have been, from their perspective, grooming these people for what they're, that's, that's, this isn't a secret. This is what they're arguing on the surface this is, to, you know, change the world in a better way. That's what they say. Nonetheless, you're seeing an unelected technocrat at a high level groom, like heads of state, gigant, the, the richest man in the world. <laughs> it's just, it's impossible not to be concerned about what that could mean. Even if you think right now, they're all trying to do the right thing. What happens tomorrow? What happens when somebody else is leading or, or pulling these strings? This is far too much centralization control to people at the top. And it's exactly what we've always pointed out is the problem. All they're doing now is going, that's good if we're good people. Yeah, just a, a new argument, apparently. We're fighting for good things. Like, who isn't saying that from a government perspective? Now, this is a non-supposedly non-governmental expect, but they're, they're rushing you into the world government. That's what this ultimately is. The same Elon who wants to implant microchips into our brains and the right. same young global leader program. Klaus Schwab has bragged, produced such alumni as Putin, Merkel, Trudeau, and so many others. As we see in this 2019 World Economic Forum document on digital IDs, one of the pillars is titled social platforms, and they just so happen to use Twitter's logo. Coincidence? Perhaps. Hmm. So while it is exciting that Elon is shaking things up as a champion for free speech, the question remains, will this advance the digital ID agenda that will be attached to every aspect of your life, including your social media posts, leading us towards a social credit score system of control? Mm. Time will tell. It will. I mean, and, and exactly. You know, I mean, I think I, I would I would I would 
I would say that it's not fleshed out, and I don't, I don't think he's implying this either, but that it's not fleshed out whether he's a champion for free speech, that if, he, if and when these actions are taken, you could argue that those actions were taken in that direction or, or led in that direction, whether he meant them to do. My point simply is that I think these actions, whether undoing certain people's censorship, won't prove to me that he's necessarily fighting for free speech until we see this flesh out. We need to wait for actions, right? Just like with presidents and politicians and everybody else. Narrative is always something that they, they're always telling you. It's we're on a first date with these people for our entire lives. They want you to think what they want you to see them as. Actions are what matter. So even if he brings me, my, me back, even like I say it like that, because I something in me tells me I'm not going to be included in the people that get brought back on the platform. Call me crazy. But regardless, I think that it will lead. We need to question everything that happens afterward because of exactly what Spiro just pointed out. And, and here's the tweet of the image, by the way, shared. Here's the link on the, the, the Telegram channel where it's from or, you know, the, the background where they, you know, talking about the digital identity from the World Economic Forum kind of direction, their digital ID logins for social media, as it says. Now, here is an interesting article with the, like a meme that kind of sums it all up. And these tweets are, are actually Elon Musk's. It says how Elon Musk stacks up against Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum. It's very, very revealing. Says I took the time to verify that Musk actually tweeted the statements below, and I, I did look for at like the first so many of them, and they're definitely on his platform. Or on, on yeah, yeah, apparently that was that was not a, a, a misspeak, even though I, it was in the moment. It is his platform now, and found references to each one. Why would Musk be so aligned with the Schwab and the world with Schwab and the World Economic Forum? This person's asking because birds of a feather flock together. That's what they're stating. You know, it's certainly possible, or you could see it as his best interest. Doesn't, but regardless, it's concerning. As you can see, Bill Gates and Elon Musk share a, a daily scheduling habit that helps them tackle their busy routines. This World Economic Forum talking about them. But as you scroll down, what you're going to see is arguments from the world or statements and arguments from the World Economic Forum. Like why carbon tax is crucial to curbing climate change. Ne juxtaposed next to Elon Musk saying it's high time there was a carbon tax. That's Elon Musk. Four reasons cities should embrace universal basic income. The WEF says, Elon Musk says, as a reminder. I'm in favor of universal basic income. Okay, two for two. World Economic Forum, three tactics to overcome COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy. Elon Musk says, to be clear, I do support vaccines in general and COVID vaccines specifically. The science is unequivocal. Hmm. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's out there, especially with what we know today. World Economic Forum. Wait, I would leave room for that being, you know, his opinion evolving because, I mean, that's happening today, even though I'm not, I'm very skeptical every time that happens. Would you let your employer implant a microchip in your hand? Well, we don't even need to go there. We know exactly where Musk is on that. Creating a neural lace is the thing that really matters for humanity to achieve symbiosis with machines. My God. Well, okay, let's, there's no questioning this is where this direction goes, right? So, okay, there's, that's wildly concerning. Now, the question is, are all of those truly what he believes? And is that now what he's essentially in his practice, his policies, his businesses rolling out? in the world alongside what's happening with the great reset i'll include this video to watch it's only eight minutes but i'm i'll let you guys watch it for yourself it's it's hugo talks in april 25th 2022 discussing exactly this elon musk dig, twitter digital id agenda and he goes into this and there's some, inf there's some important information in here ultimately and then you know his own opinions about how this is concerning now i want to finish with the partisan perspective Hey, this is on We Are Change. They're coming for him. This is what they think when they look at this situation. I'll let you think about it for yourself. 
is going to strike back on Elon. They're going to go after SpaceX. They're going to go after Starlink. They're going after Tesla. There was that trial balloon last week to say, wow, the CFIUS, we're going to look at your funding, the investment here. So that, and then they pulled it away immediately and said, oh no, that's not true. That's not actually happening. That was a, that was a message. Now I think we're finally going to get some big tech regulations in federal government. And it's not just the federal government. It's also big players like Bill Gates that were organizing PR campaigns and organizations and groups to pull money from Twitter when Elon Musk would buy it. But Bill Gates was now that that now, regardless of that, this is the same point I'm making. Right. I mean, first of all, the assumption that they're all going to go after him and they're going to start doing things now because he's there. It's a very partisan perspective like that very clearly suggests there's a do a, a, a two party paradigm and that there are people on one side that are going after the other. Like, it's very frustrating, especially from Luke Kradowski's perspective, for, from, from my perspective, for him saying that, seeing as how he's gone after the two party. And I, I mean, it's just it's it's frustrating how people in every walk of this field lean into the two party paradigm. And it frustrates me because, I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong. You have come to your own conclusions. Sure. But really, like in every possible way, they're going to go after this man. How do we even know that's actually the reality when this hasn't even fleshed out yet? We haven't even seen how Twitter's going to go forward. I mean, it's just frustrating. But the point about the Twitter and Bill Gates and the whole thing. Now, again, is, is that because of Elon Musk or is there more to the story or is it because they want you to think that's the case? I mean, we need to ask this, especially since, as we were just looking at uh, the, the, you know, the, the overlap of specifically Bill Gates and Elon Musk. Maybe oh, bring this back so you can see that again, you know, where they're pointing out that they're their World Economic Forum are kind of sh- putting them next to each other and saying they share a daily schedule. And that doesn't mean that they're necessarily working together, they're friends and, you know, whatever else. But I don't know. It just it doesn't add up to me personally. To attack Twitter, to attack Gates that were organizing PR campaigns and organizations and groups to pull money from Twitter when Elon Musk would buy it. But Bill Gates was planning to attack Twitter, to attack the advertisers, to start a whole PR campaign to try to bring Twitter down. Elon Musk chopped off the head of the snake. He's the head right now. And I think there's going to be a lot of people going after Elon, his companies. It's going to be so fascinating to see how he's going to navigate all these pressures. I hope he has good people around him. I I hope he sticks to his guns. I I hope he sticks to the basic principles of free speech. Ah, God, how's depressing? I just I got to be honest. It's very depressing to me to see that conversation like like he's the head of the snake now. I mean, really, how can you even make that? I I doesn't I'm not going to get into that. that. That is for the partisan perspective. Very partisan. And it's and that's it's disappointing. The idea that we're acting like he we already know he's the head of the snake at this or whatever else. It's it's you know, the idea is that these are all subjective arguments. We don't know anything about what's actually going on. And ultimately the partisan side, one side's gonna make him out to be a demon, the other side's gonna make him out to be a hero. And as always, the truth is somewhere in the middle. But finally, Black and the Empire points out what can really be more ridiculous at this point than still believing things are gonna get better for us if you pick red or blue, right? Pepsi or Coke. Or, you know, the company that owns them both. Which one do you want, guys? We need to realize that we are still being played if we're still in the two-party paradigm. And everybody leans into it when it benefits them, and that frustrates me. But we need to try to fight against it. But the real point here is how this all seems to expedite the direction into a digital ID. Everything about this, everything about this, the the Spiro points out the, 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 the combination direction, these X platform he's talking about which is ultimately what that is and how this drives you into that discussion now whether that's musk knowingly doing that or just because he sees how that's a benefit i mean look everybody can see that that's the direction they want to go so as a businessman you can understand why that would just be a smart business choice 
if you didn't care about destroying the world and the human species. But I think that that's something we should consider. But it is. It is a fast track to the digital identification if this goes in that direction. And he's tweeted out and discussed this many different times about how this is about your data. That's, he said that blatantly. Like, we need to listen when they tell us what they're talking about and not apply that through a partisan lens. It's very, very important these days. Now, going into how things are changing, because they really are changing in a lot of ways. Now, they may not be changing the way we perceive them to be changing, but they are changing. And I think it's because we are, as the independent media and people that are pushing back, are making a very obvious difference today. Like, very, very big difference on what's going on. My point when I say that we don't know if it's changing the way we perceive it as because things like this are being posted out. We just talked about that 1996 article from CNN that was calling out everything about Big Pharma and all things that never changed. And now they act like those are conspiracy theories, despite them writing it on their website in 1996, whatever. But this is from today. How Big Pharma or. Uh, oh, you know what? I'm, dang it. That's the wrong article. That's this is one I had on the on. Dang it. Well, I'm not going to go try to grab it. There's a new article coming out discussing how big pharma is a problem. This is one that I had on the back burner from an old art from an old. Hold on. Let me see if I can grab it real quick. I don't want to try not to do this. I hate when I break off and try to. No, I'm, I've got too many windows. It's going to take me too, too long. Regardless, the point was that everyone's beginning to think it's OK to say, look, big pharma is dishonest. Right. And, and it, that's always been a discussion. I mean, Bernie Sanders gets up and says, this is the business model of the big pharma. Well, I mean, we've always heard it, but we're now it's becoming almost normalized to at least question what they're doing. And I think it's important to understand that that's an allowance to a certain degree. Now, here's another thing we're seeing, and this this speaks to the actions of individuals, just or more, I would say more so the mid to larger investment individuals, but it still matters about what you buy and what you invest in. I think that's the largest part. Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, and other big tech owners lost $46 billion in one week. It simply, so, it simply adds up to the point that people are no longer, or diminishing, at least in the moment, people using and investing in these things. Now, I think that's important to see, because all of that's in the same direction. Why are people suddenly no longer interested in Microsoft, Meta, Facebook, Amazon? Or less so than they were before, I think, because there's a lot happening right now that puts them square in the center of what's destroying everybody's lives. It's pretty interesting. So what that shows you is change, but will it hold? And is it going in the way we want it to? Or is this a designed collapse to, you know, like think about big oil, the, the standard oil discussion about how to the people when that happened, when they broke up, you know, the standard oil, it appeared to be that they won. Yay. We brought down the big company that was hurting everybody, but behind the scenes, it turned out that they wanted that to happen. Because they they sold that you they wanted you to think you won. And in reality, they broke it up and they became more powerful and more profitable than ever because behind the scenes, they still managed everything. That's the kind of reality we need to understand. And when, when you see change, it may be planned. It may be manipulated. That's the kind of thing. That's the the uh, what's the right word for it. I, I there, there's a lot of manipulation terms. Problem reaction solution. We've got into all these things. The bottom line is they will put forward things they want you to think are you winning. Like, let's just grab something out of the air. I don't know, Trump being elected. Oh, we're going to scare people away. But they, that's how that works, in my opinion. But as we're seeing all that happen, I think it's in, in, in our best interest to not, like with Twitter or anything else, assume that it's the way we want it to be. Because at the same time, 
we are watching an unprecedented level of cover-up, obfuscation, outright lies, like I talked, I just talked about yesterday in the beginning. All these different things, <laughs> just across the board. Biden saying gas prices aren't what they were, what lying about what they were, lying about this, blatantly saying the exact opposite of what's happening. I mean, it's everywhere. Or the joke. I mean, I couldn't even believe they chose this, but the woman. I uh, forget her name all of a sudden, who was involved with the DOJ during the Jesse Smollett hoax, who knowingly lied about that, is now in some symposium about how to, this, how to suss out what's a true and what's a, not, what's a real and unreal hate crime. It's just, it's, it's just laugh out loud ridiculous. So you lie about these things, and then you're put up as the authority on deciding whether they're real? It's, it's like they want you to see this stuff. So this kind of thing, I question whether that's the case, but I, I can't fathom how they want you to realize that the excess death that's happening, whether with neonate children, unborn babies, or anything else, is I don't know how it serves them to blame these companies unless they want to sell one under the bus. But this is what's happening right now. Not that this is them blaming them, but we can see this undeniably right now. And this blew my mind. They're basically telling you it's going to happen, but it is happening right now. But what they're telling you is the COVID tridemic coming up, that excess death. It says, you know something seriously wrong when, quote, health chiefs are in talks with funeral directors to ensure cremations and burials can keep pace with the demand in the event of significant excess deaths. (laughs) Like he said, actually planning for excess deaths. I mean, so so they've predicted the twindemic numerous times and it never happens so far. So why would they predict it this time and then plan for it? Like, that's an ominous reality. But then the real point for me is not just that they're going, there's going to be a lot of extra dead bodies coming up this winter, which is crazy. It's really about the fact that that's happening right now. Here's the article. First of all, they're preparing for significant excess death this winter. Health chiefs are in talks, as I just read, with funeral directors to ensure that they can keep up with the demand of excess death in the winter. Board papers from NHS, uh, Lancashire also note that additional mortuary capacity created to help manage the COVID pandemic could be called upon to cope with a potential surge in mortality over the coming months, which is interesting because all these extra hospitals and ships and all these, most of them went unused because it wasn't a real thing that the, the pandemic we were all sold. This part is there, oh, well, we're going to use them now for the next thing we're predicting. The document states the resilience planning officers of North and South uh, Lanarkshire are working alongside local undertakers to ensure there's a sufficient pace of funeral services, both burials and cremations, to support the eventuality of a significant excess deaths over the winter period. Now, are they literally trying to pretend it's not happening and just let it keep going until the winter so they can just be like, oh, it's all because of this thing that's been happening, RSV and flu and whatnot. I mean, I don't even know how they're trying. The, the excess death is through the roof right now. More than it's ever been. So I don't understand how they pretend it's going to be some unprecedented reality in the winter, like next month and, bo- and further. But it says additional mortuary capacity identified for COVID is still in place. Yeah, that's because it didn't get used and will continue to be available over the winter period. Well, we talked about this. The UK's baffling non-COVID excess death all the way back in July 8th. And it's only gotten worse. So just understand, you can read this for yourself. Get into the details, the links. It's all, as always, oh, I'm going to make a comment about that. Oh, I was going to do it in the beginning and I forgot. Ah, I don't want to derail the show. I, there, many of you noticed my links have changed. I'll get into why. It's just easier for me. They're up now versus up a day later and so on. But I'll, I'll come back to that. 
the point is get to the links, the source material, because the reality is UK's baffling non-COVID excess death. They're, they're the ones saying that. It's not COVID. They, they ruled that out. But they're baffled by this dramatic increase in excess death. So wh why are they pretending that's not happening now and pointing at the winter? Here's the article from that time. This big start your free month trial. Sorry about that. It says excess deaths are on the rise, not because of COVID, right? There you go. That's July 5th right there. And on top of that, in February 3rd, 2022, even before that, same thing. Check the source material. It's all verifiable directly from the UK data. UK fully vaxxed at this time. It was two shots account for 92% of cases, 70% of hospitalizations and 81% of deaths in the last month at this time. Remember, Biden just told you that the majority of people dying will be people that aren't up to date, meaning they'll all have shots in their body. Most of the ones he's referencing. All right. So all that being said, clear, there's been a dramatic problem here for a while. Why are they now pointing at the winter? Right. I mean, look, we, they, we just talked about this. Vaccines ruled out. I'm going to have to read this again. It's only a couple paragraphs because this is just so mind blowing. I can't even under this is so crazy every time I look at it. But this is what they just talked about. This October 8th. Right. So we have a, a spike in death. Isn't that excess? Death? Yes, it is. Are they not aware of it right now? I mean, I don't understand how they're playing this game. I mean, I'm, I'm being facetious. I know what they're doing. They just don't want you to realize that it's happening right this moment by saying coming up extra mortuary space set aside. It's coming. We're going to do it then. And we're only going to talk about it then when we can blame it on the flu and RSV and everything else. We'll get to that next. But in case you didn't see this, this is so mind blowing. Don't forget that a member of, of the Imperial College of London tweeted this out against somebody else talking about it and said, nope, they ruled it out. They proved it wasn't a slime. And this is what it actually said. They didn't rule it out. It actually says that they chose not even to investigate and that to them is ruling it out. It says experts stressed that there was no plausible link between the unusually high levels of mortality among newborns in September last year and March to this year to justify investigating it. You mean the injection that you claim can cause heart problems? It's not even worth looking into. How do you even make sense of that? You, you, I mean, you just argued that it has these problems. We're now discovering, I mean, uh, Europe and different countries are going, oh, well, now it causes extra menstrual bleeding and all these different things that you called fake news 30 seconds ago. But we're not even going to look into it. That's what they're arguing. Public Health of Scotland, which is part of UK, said its consults, consultants had given careful consideration to the potential benefits and harms of carrying out such an analysis, not of not of the benefits and harms of whether or not it's killing babies, but the benefits and harms of the, what the investigation itself might do. Think about how crazy that is. As part of the probe into the deaths of 39 infants, but they concluded against doing it because it was not possible to identify a scenario where it would change policy. Talk about politics driving science. Given that vaccination policy was already, they claim, appropriately informed by good quality population level evidence. Well, you know what else was? Every other vaccine in history that later turned out to be dangerous. Every single one of them. You know why? Because before they were approved. They didn't, this whole emergency use authorization was a very few and far between concept. So they approved these injections. And then every one of them, you can look back and go, oh, we later found out that it caused all these problems. The oral polio vaccine, the DDP vaccine, the all of them. That, oh, look, it killed all these children. Okay, now we'll take it off the market. Those were approved before that happened. Those were, they would claim, appropriately informed by good quality population level. That's what they keep saying. But here it doesn't matter now because we're just going to ignore it forever. Going to jump to the next one. 
In a statement, the Public Health of Scotland added that there is also a risk that identifying the vaccine status of mothers would result in harm to them. Again, point I made last time. Sorry for those that heard me do this twice. I think this is important, though, for those that didn't see it. The idea that you're literally saying we can't allow pregnant mothers to let people know their vaccine status. That might cause harm to them. But you, damn dirty anti-vaxxer, you damn well better tell us what's going on inside your body. Because that won't cause any negative negative repercussions. I mean, my God, that's that's all that's happening. But it says, furthermore, the outcomes of such an analysis that they're not doing, whilst being uninformative, how do you even say that? You don't even know what might happen because you didn't do it for public health decision making. Had the potential to be used to harm vaccine confidence. Whilst being uninformative for public health, how can you argue an investigation that you didn't conduct is not informative for public health? These people should go to jail, literally for even making these arguments. As you know, children are dying. You're saying these babies' deaths don't matter. Here, I forgot to point this out last time. It says, quote, November 24th, 2021. We do not have any plans to examine maternal vaccination status as there's no public health reason to do so. Leaving the pause like John Campbell. Right? That's the key he did the same. Like John Campbell was blown away by that. My God. Well, the point is that's happening. That's excess death. So they're ignoring that. Here's another example. Here's California. It's not UK, but we're seeing this around the world is the point. A leaked hospital email from a central California, from central California revealed they have seen an increase in stillbirths. The staff member who leaked the email says the uptick happened after people started taking the vaccines. Now, I mean, you could watch the clip for yourself. It's, 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 they, it's exactly what's happening. And this, this was leaked, of course, to the Epic Times, which then will make people immediately dismiss it if they're a partisan person, which is stupid. Because it's an email that you can reference and check for yourself, which is real. But no, because partisan media, fake news. Peer-reviewed science? Oh, it's dishonest peer-reviewed science because it comes, it leans in one direction. So I'm only going to trust the peer-reviewed science that I like. Everything else is dishonest. <laughs> that'll mean that'll make sense in a moment. But the point here is that this is literally everywhere. This is Vayers, just for the United States. The total number of miscarriages and stillbirths per year since 1990 attributed to a vaccine reaction. Now, these are reported, right? Remember that you can't, these are not, these are all... They're supposed to be verified, but they're not even doing that anymore. But they're not proven. These are reports. But as always, the history, they all say the UK, everybody else on the record, that these are signals and it doesn't matter to prove them. That's what the the UK Dr. Rain said about the yellow card system in 2006. It's a signal system. We don't need to prove them. If the signals are large enough, we should stop the vaccines. That's where we are. This is just stillbirths. Look at the years. Coming for those in the podcast, it's. There's a a kind of a weird spike from 2007 to 2011, and it goes back down. But then from 2020, it's pretty low. But then 2021, it jumps up. I mean, what is that? It jumps up from about maybe 100 or less to over 3,500. And then 2022, we're not even done with the year. It's at 1,500 plus. Well, must be a bunch of anti-vaxxers lying about their children dying, right? Seeing as how most of them are doctors reporting them, though. But yeah, all anti-vaxxers, because that makes sense, and I don't have to think about it. End of story. Thank you, Ben Swan, for sharing this. Make sure you check out Sovereign, the platform. It's where I I believe it's going to be a challenger to everything once they get this up and running and streaming and everything else. Here's what Jan uh, Jakalik points out. 16 states and counting whose governors say they will say, by the way, it's not for sure, say they will not require children to receive COVID vaccines for school entry. These are important to remember. Now, for those that have the ability, the wherewithal, the the resources, 
run screaming from the place you are to one of these places. Now, I know that's not within the cards for most everybody right now because of what they've done to you, and it's probably one of the reasons why. But the, re- the point is, this is that important. What these things are and what they're going to force on your children is the scariest thing I can possibly think of right now. Like across everything we're talking about. But just so you know who they are for the podcast, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Idaho, Missouri, Montana, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, Virginia, Wyoming. There's, there's a lot of pushback. Guys, think about that. Oh, the, the point I was going to make too, there's plenty of, you know, I mean, there's, pl- there's ones that are left, there's ones that are right, and there's ones that are in the middle. This is a nonpartisan issue, guys. It's, the truth is the, it's nonpartisan. There's plenty of people on the right that still support the vaccine because Trump does. There's plenty of people on the left that are not stupid enough to see that it's not dangerous and they don't care who's there. It's, it's a nonpartisan issue that they were desperate to make a partisan issue. And finally, Justin Spiro points out, Yale University is requiring students, but not faculty. And this keeps happening. I keep seeing this. They're requiring students, but not faculty to obtain the new bivalent COVID shot, the one not tested on people with gleaned information from the BA1 shot, pretending like that makes sense for this one, and already found out that it's not any better if, if, if whatever that means than the older ones. And yet they're forcing them on people, even though they haven't tested them. And at best, they're the same as the old ones, which means bad. Could someone explain why students and staff are not subject to the same rules? It doesn't make sense. Does COVID respect tenure and doctorates? Well, apparently it respects borders, so why not? The joke, by the way, because the, the, the data doesn't add up, as Denny Rancourt points out. Somehow they magically respect borders. Now, the risks this is causing are abundant and apparent everywhere. Here's just one more example to add to the growing body of work. We continue to show you that this is causing not just blood clots, heart attacks, strokes, and everything else in regard to that issue or that that general wheelhouse of problems, but that it's causing other things, like as Dr. Cole points out or Dr. Peter McCullough, that this is causing many, if not an endless amount of things that are you may have in your body or you know pre-exist, pre exist uh, pre you may be pre exposed to to explode cancers, everything else. That that clip, I don't think I have lined up right now from Dr. Cole, where he says in his practice, he's seeing all sorts of things from the benign, smaller things to very dangerous things like cancer exploding. And here's Jennifer Margolis pointing out that aggressive cancer you got during this whole process, despite a lack of any family history of cancer, could have been caused by a myriad of factors. But this team of scientists argues that your immune system may have been disrupted by the mRNA injections. Now, don't forget, it's exactly what the other studies have found. uh, Lymphocytopenia a dysregulation of your immune system. That's what, there's there's an endless amount of peer-reviewed science that's pointing in this direction, and we're supposed to call it a conspiracy theory. This is from June. Innate immune suppression by SARS-CoV-2 mRNA vaccinations. We present evidence that vaccination induces a profound impairment in type 1 interferon signaling, which has diverse adverse consequences to human health. Immune cells that have taken up the vaccine, nanoparticles, release into circulation large numbers of exosomes containing spike protein along with critical microRNAs that induce a signaling response in recipient cells at distant sites. We also identify potential profound disturbances in regulatory control of protein synthesis and cancer surveillance. These disturbances potentially have a causal link, you ready for it, to neurodegenerative disease, neuro degenerative diseases, myocarditis, immune thrombocytopenia, Bell's palsy, liver disease, impaired adaptive immunity, impaired DNA damage response, and tumorogenesis. You know, just a few couple small things, no big deal, right? Run screaming. 
Now, on the note of cancer, because I want to include this somewhere, was the point I was referencing a moment ago. Now, I, I, I shouldn't be mean because the point, the guy is not, he's saying, we need you. And nonetheless, I'll, here's what the statement says. Ryan, why do you derail your credibility with these weed claims? Peer-reviewed studies, in quotes, say weed helps with COVID is beyond ridiculous. There's not one honest peer-reviewed study that claims weed does anything good, except this one. And the other two I linked down here, you know, but none though, no honest ones. I don't even know what that means. No honest peer-reviewed studies. This is a problem of where we are today. But you've seen this. We've talked about this. Cannabidiol, CBD, which is cannabis, inhibits SARS-CoV-2 replication through induction of the host ER stress and innate immune responses. Look at how important that is. What we just talked about. By the way, this is my big point about cannabis in general, whether including THC, and cannabidiol and the entourage effect, which helps your body immensely. And this year, this has been peer-reviewed studies on the entourage effect itself. The point is that it is important. It helps your immune system. It helps your body heal itself. The problem is they don't want that today. I think this is one of the reasons cannabis has been focused on for so long because it really is a central piece in keeping yours. I mean, how about we point out the fact that pregnant women literally produce cannabidiol in their breast milk. You can, it's just naturally, whether you've ever smoked cannabis or taken anything in your life, but you know why? Because it plays a, a very strong factor in creating the nursing where it basically makes the babies want to suckle. You can look this stuff up. It's very real. How does that make sense? Because this stuff is meant to be used. It is literally part of how our bodies work, but whatever. My point down here is that here we report that cannabidiol inhibits infection of SARS-CoV-2 in cells in mice. Sure seems honest to me. Science.org is one of the most highly regarded peer-reviewed platforms on the internet. It's a CBD and it's metabolite 7-OH CBD potentially blocks SARS-CoV-2 replication in lung epithelial cells. CBD acts after viral entry, inhibiting viral gene expression and reversing many effects of SARS-CoV-2 on host gene transcription. I argue it has this effect with a lot of different things. CBD inhibits SARS-CoV-2 replication in part this study highlights CBD as a potential preventative agent for early stage SARS-CoV-2 infection and merits further clinical trials. Boom. It's important. All right. Hope Alex Bernstein's paying attention. All this stuff is important. And you can't just pretend this is the, op- you know, reefer madness level. It's all crazy and you're all bad and gateway theory and all this stuff. This stuff matters. And if we can't realize by now that we're lied to about cannabis, I'm not trusting people's research skills at this point. But here we are. Now, to go into the twin, the, tw- the, tr- the tridemic, it just makes me think of like the, remember Delmacron and, and, and what was it? The other one was, uh, I can't remember what it was now. <laughs> these stupid names they came up with. Delmacron was like the first, inter- like these are going to blend and become their own thing. It's like, is that even how it works? I mean, it sounds so ridiculous. But here, we just talked about this. Fears of U.S. twindemic of flu and RSV grow with or without COVID. What kind of statement is that? Are we in a pandemic or not? How can you be like, well, whatever, wherever, whichever the wind blows, whether it goes away tomorrow or not. If we're in the biggest pandemic of our lifetimes and they keep screaming, we're all still at this point acting like we're in danger. How does that even make sense? Because we know that's not the case. It's just plainly obvious now, even to their own people that were along with them, that this is not really what's happening. The point is, this is what they're floating. This was on October 24th. Here, thank you, Jess, for pointing this out. It's almost as if they planned a tridemic. Here's the, the post. Health officials warn of possible tridemic of flu, COVID, and RSV one day later. Well, she points out how Moderna shared something. I'll show you right now. Great catch, catch, Jess. Good catch. Here's what it says. Here's the actual article, first of all. Health officials warn of possible tridemic. Very stupid. 
Oh, that's weird. It refreshed on me. Of course it did. <laughs> of course it did. Here's the, I'll, I'll read it next. Here's the tweet of Moderna's from September 9th, 2021. This is during the biggest pandemic of our lifetimes is what we're being told, right? Today, we shared positive preclinical data demonstrating our ability to combine six mRNAs against three different respiratory viruses in one vaccine, COVID-19, flu, and RSV. What do you know? It's almost like they're psychic. Or how about we ask even deeper questions? How about we ask whether or not this is because, or rather why, this might even be happening? Was this something they're making happen? Was it something they were testing that got out? I mean, there's all these questions we should be asking. Now, I'm not saying I believe any of those. Could be. Personally, I just think that they have insight into what they either think they're going to make happen or they're going to pretend is happening. And that's why they're doing this at this time before it happens, just like every other step so far. But regardless, we should be able to ask, were they testing this somewhere? And did it get out? That's why they're talking about it. You know, just like everything else. But think about how ridiculous that is. At what point do we truly start to acknowledge how prescient like that they're just like reading the tea leaves like they just know what's happening oh they're all experts therefore they know exactly how these things will mutate and what will happen next come on this is crazy suspicious at the very least now before we get into the next part of this which will be even more suspicious and don't forget that this is all about in one vaccine so in the middle of all this they're already making the the universal vaccine setup which is what this ultimately is like a platform where you can insert different things and just give them one that's what they're saying now they were making this in the middle of it all? Yes. Well, here's what it says on October 25th. Children's hospitals in part of the United States have seen a surge in common respiratory illness. Yeah, I wonder why. Maybe because you're destroying people's immune systems, making them wear masks that absolutely cause infection. We just went over this last time. I'll have it right here, but make sure you check this last one out about the WHO calls mask-induced infection Candida a worldwide threat. So it's very, very obvious there's at least in part, I think almost entirely large part that this is being caused by the masks. I went over all this in numerous shows in the past. But we have to acknowledge that what they're doing, lockdowns, masks, injections, all the stuff that dysregulate or destroy your immune system and then pointing at the illnesses that are caused by that as you know, it's all part of the same thing. But I'm not saying it's all of it. It could just be some organic thing, but the fact that none of these arguments or conversations or articles include the possibility that it could be because of it, it, it's just, it's all dishonest. But it says now doctors are bracing for the possibility that respiratory synactical, synactical virus or RSV, flu, and COVID could combine to stress hospitals. Now, here's what I keep pointing out. I don't think from an intellectual argument, like from the top, like from CD, you know, not to even call them intellectual, but like, a, you know, supposedly virologist and people making these arguments. I don't think they're actually claiming that they're going to like merge into one thing. I don't even think that's po- what <laughs> possible. But during the whole discussion of the Delmlacron thing. I think that's just got what, what got gleaned by these uninformed people in the media where they literally made the argument that it was going to mesh into one thing. Delmacron. But here, I think what they're saying is that we're going to have these things happening simultaneously and they're going to call it a tridemic. Or that's, I mean, that's inherently what tridemic means. But just get ready for them to call this its own thing. He's going to laugh when that happens. I'm calling it an emergency, he says. Oh, you mean the thing that hasn't happened yet? Cool. Right. Worst case assessment or, you know, instead of balanced risk assessment, worst case scenarios. It's an emergency that this could happen tomorrow. Does that sound familiar? It should because that's the entire thing they're operating on. Tomorrow, long COVID. We don't know. New variants. 
long climate change. Everything's happening. It's going to happen next week, next year. Get ready. Take action now. We don't trust you. We're not taking any of your actions anymore. It's an emergency because it's what they want you to think is an emergency. Like you can't call something that hasn't happened yet an emergency. Doctors said RSV cases fell dramatically two years ago. Well, look at that. Just like everything else. Now, here's what's stupid about this argument. Let me finish it. Cases for RSV fell dramatically two years ago with pandemic restrictions into place. In 2021, they saw an alarming increase. Are you really going to pretend that the lockdowns that barely took place in 2020 were why they fell in 2020? I mean, what a self-serving and ridiculously uninformed argument. Like, think about how crazy that is, because there was stuff happening in 2020, but it was predominantly really and into 2021, I would argue. But regardless of how you look at that, the idea that this thing fell off when at a time when, by the way, the lockdowns and everything else were increasing people's risk. And the, and the like the idea that we're pretending that now it's all coming back because of that, it's just not, it doesn't line up. It's the same thing with the masks. They're arguing, well, the masks were in place. Therefore, they stopped transmission. Well, that's not true because they're not statistically significant in reducing transmission. None of them, except high-level respirators that you put on like at a BSL-4 lab. The rest of them are not made to do that, and they say it themselves. Now, the lockdown, in a basic way, you can argue in any way, stops people from interacting if they're following it, which would reduce literally anything. But that doesn't mean that it's not going to continue to spread or simply just be to disappear from the planet. But that's what it says. Dramatically, flu literally vanished. How does anybody make sense of that? It's obviously a lie. Then 2021, we saw an alarming increase, but there were lots of lockdowns in 2021. Now, the point is, I don't buy this. I think that either RSV was not gone and just called COVID, or what they're pointing at now is something being caused by what they're doing, and they're calling that RSV, or maybe both. I don't know for sure, but I'm not allowed to ask the question, so you're damn well going to hear me ask them. The virus causes the most threat to infants, older adults, or other vulnerable people. Again, what that really means is people with immune problems or immune uh, susceptibility, like people that are older infants and people with immunocompromised problems. And that's exactly what they're causing in everybody with these injections. Who can get serious airway and lung infections? Right. Okay. So the exact problem is respiratory. What else is causing respiratory problems? The mask you're wearing. What else is causing respiratory problems? The injections you're taking. But let's ignore all of that and pretend it's going to become some massive problem. It might, in fact, but they're doing this, I believe, either by accident or not. But guess what? They're already pointing at it. This is October. New York State is saying respiratory synactical virus and why you should be concerned. It's coming your way. And you can read into this, guys. Read this whole thing. You could literally insert flu or something else and you would never know the difference. Same with COVID, by the way. What does that tell you? They're prepping us, I think. Now, here's the interesting part. Just a hypothetical. And it's a great question to ask. This is an old uh, patent from Moderna. It says, hypothetically, if there is RSV in the Moderna vax, just hypothetically, now, realize they do use this stuff in lots of different trials and different things. And we've already talked about that. There's pseudoviruses and so on. Which, by the way, I don't know why that's not asked. We're asking why that doesn't cause a problem or it gets out like all the other things we're talking about. But are adults shedding that and infecting children now? It's a valid question. And see, the point is that people hate when you just ask questions because they call that conspiracy theory, which is shows you that they're afraid of people asking questions. But the idea is you can look into this and realize that this at the time was a beta coronavirus mRNA vaccine, which failed and they hurt people. We, we know all this, right? This is from 2020 which they do include the discussion of human respiratory synactical virus. Complete genome. You can read there for yourself. The point is simply this, is we should ask these and whether or not this is being done 
created, instituted, executed, and now it's being capitalized on. It's a valid question to ask. And I think here's another reason why. Guess what? Surprise! Pfizer jumps to the queue and leaps into RSV vax contention as COVID helps turbocharge the work. This is 2021, June, July 30th, 2021. Where was that? Shoot. What was it overlap with 2021? Anyway, I don't want to go back and find it. Anyway, the point is, watch out, GlaxoSmithKline and J&J. Pfizer is steaming into the respiratory synaptical virus vaccine race. Look at that. Right before it starts to happen, almost like they knew, in what looks like a late break that could soon become gold. In data, dropped rather quietly. What does that tell you? Second, during second quarter earnings this week to the little fanfare, Pfizer said a challenge study where vaccines were given to 62 adults under 50 who were then intentionally infected with RSV. You see, like that stuff right there. Like they pretend like, I mean, Fort Detrick in history had all sorts of leaks and, and escape stuff, but they did this to see if the shots worked, showed 100% observed efficacy, they claim, <laughs> against mild to moderate symptomatic infection. I guess that's all they do now. Does it reduce your sniffles? It's a success. 100% relative reduction. Then you give it out to the world. Oh, people are dying and having blood clots and heart attacks. Well, it had 100% reducing your sniffles, though, we claimed. What does that break down to? About 0.08% absolute risk reduction. Take it. It's for your best interest. Point is, that's always mild to moderate, and they claim it reduces all the serious problems. They don't know that. This is only a peak from the phase 2A test, which is set up to assess the immunogenicity and efficacy of the bivalent protein-based vaccine candidate, RSV, PREF. Great. So they're all sprinting into the bivalent mRNA platform argument or direction, I argue, I mean, for everything before it starts to happen. And then weird, then it starts to happen right after they get ready with the injections they made. Says, But the data, which came out of nowhere, could be a boon for Pfizer and came with no serious safety worries. Sure. But the interesting point is the data came out of nowhere. After talking with Pfizer, which Lirnik said had been deliberately stealthy about the program, I just am very suspicious about this. Why would they hide this? Why wouldn't they be screaming about how much success they're having? You could think for yourself. Under the COVID effect, it says Pfizer is riding high on what must be one of the most savvy, lucky biotech deals it ever made. When it decided last spring to just out of nowhere work with the little known German outfit BioNTech and its mRNA tech against COVID. Right, because let's pretend like that was just a, a quirky coincidence where they just decided to go, we'll invest in this failing thing that no one's ever said it's worked and everybody's attacking. And it's never like everything on the before COVID about all of this was this is never going to work. It's failing. It's hurting people. And people were like removing investments. But Pfizer jumped into it because they saw an investment in it. How will you even make sense of that? Let's invest in the one thing that's never succeeded right before COVID-19. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. It takes a lot to not see what that is. The deal will now bring in, according to Pfizer's latest estimates, $33 billion in this year alone. That was 2021. And that's before boosters. In fact, this COVID work helps has, has helped specifically with the SRV. Or excuse me, RSV, excuse me. Quote, Pfizer, uh, Pfizer's aggressive timeline appears inspired by the light speed operational planning carried out by COVID vaccine efforts. Oh, great. So now you're going to sprint out R RSV vaccines when it's not even an emergency. Why would you do that? 
because it's beneficial to the company. Like we just read, and even CNN was calling back out in 1996 that they were more interested in the money and the time and the speed than they were about safety, and they don't care. And even when they get called out for it, they shout you down and call you crazy. That was happening all the way back then. Guess what? It's still happening right now. And you already heard about the Boston discussion. We were talking about it right when it happened. It's been, been discussed here and there. It's important. A new lab-made COVID-19 virus puts gain-of-function research under the microscope. No, no, that's long since been done. Gain-of-function research is dangerous, deadly, I would argue criminal. This isn't putting it under the re- under the microscope. This is bringing it back up when we're going, are you effing kidding me? You're making this now when everybody's realizing this? Is, I mean, it's it's crazy, but October 27th, the argument is simply that they're talking about the Boston research where they literally made a Omicron variant wildly deadly, or at least they claim that, which I'm, I'm I can consider that they just made it up for the agenda. But here is what they're arguing in this, that they are back under the microscope. And now this isn't the main point. It's the next thing is the main point. But look at what they said right here. In fact, lab studies pushing the virus toward becoming resistant to known drugs are requesting requested by the FDA. I mean, this will be even more important in a second. We're talking about, where is it? Uh, Becoming resistant to known drugs. So antibiotic resistant issues. This is the, what they're saying is FDA was the one pushing them to do gain of function research and make things resistant to drugs. And it's what they claim such work helps doctors and patients have a clear idea of the likelihood that a virus would become resistant. Now, really take a minute to think about what that says. So you force this in using genetic manipulation. How does that in any way give you an insight into how likely that would happen? There's no comparative point where you go, oh, well, I made this happen. Therefore, that's 20% likely in nature. Well, no. Who? I mean, the argument is it could happen. But the fact that you made it happen, that is dangerous research done for your benefit, not for the benefit of doctors who you're going to say, it can happen. And they go, well, yeah, we knew that. If you don't have any frame of reference for how likely it is when you make that happen. Dr. Boyle has spoken on this. I mean, this is dangerous stuff. This is bioweapons research. My point, though, is that this is setting you up for failure, creating the problem that then is pointed at in the future for why they need to shut you down or stop you or restrict you or whatever else. And I argue they're already setting this up next, and it seems to be connected quite far back. Before we get to that, though, remember this part about the resistant drugs. Here they are talking about how this has put gain and function back under the microscope. And at the exact same moment, guess what else is happening? Not Boston. A government lab in Maryland, of all places. Probably Fort D. Actually, I didn't even look. Hold on. Of course, they won't list it. My, my, it's, I almost guarantee it's Fort Detrick. It's kind of, it doesn't matter, though. Government lab, I mean, it, it does matter, but in the context of the point here. Government lab in Maryland plans to create a hybrid monkeypox strain that is more deadly than the one currently spreading. Why? There's no reason that makes sense. Doing that does not prove that that would happen. You made it happen. Doing that does not protect you against somebody who might magically, in a one in a billion chance, make the exact strange thing you did all the way in the side of the world. Like, or make something just slightly different and then it wouldn't work, right? So the idea that they can make this thing and then make a vaccine for it is the, it only matters if that thing gets out. So these are weapons with a vaccine. If that's even what they're doing, by the way. But this is crazy. This is exactly what we're calling out about Boston, about Fauci's research and EPPP research and everything else. What if it got out? What if that's what already happened? 
What if this is, I mean, anything. This is wild and there's no actual benefit to you. Scares me. Or they're making it all up because there's something else. I mean, who knows? But the fact that they're stating this publicly while we're asking questions about gain of function, that speaks volumes. Now, somebody shared this with me, Eli West. I didn't want to show the the, uh, the information there, but it says, I was curious, what would pop up if, I, if, you, if we searched for, as we were pointing out yesterday, what they called a bacterial antimicrobial resistance pandemic, right? We just talked about this. Here's the, art, here's the actual discussion on the show if you want to watch it. Potentially deadly fungal infections climb, according to WHO. And that's what they called this, which I thought was very strange. This is the expert, literally an expert on antimicrobial, antimicrobial resistance, which is what they've said in the past, that the people will promote the disease of their expertise because it benefits their career. Certainly something we should consider. But this, she called it emerging from the shadows of the, so of the, so calling what apparently just happened a bacterial antimicrobial resistant pandemic. Is that what it was? I thought it was a COVID pandemic. I thought that's what they told us. I don't think either of them are true, ultimately, other than the fact that they're creating these resistant problems, as we just pointed to, right? But he said, okay, well, what if I search for that? And this study from Lancet from 2020 was one of the first things that popped up, which is, it, you know, I don't know, maybe they're suggesting that's what I should have looked at. I wasn't interested in looking it up at the moment, but thank you for showing it. Here's what it was. This is from September 29th, 2020. Confronting antimicrobial resistant dang it antimicrobial resistance beyond the covid pandemic and the 2020 election i don't even know where that election part comes in it's just a weird they're just scooping up all of their narratives but it says globally the usa has recorded the highest number of covid19 cases and deaths and still needs to simultaneously respond to another looming potential pandemic. See, they were already setting this up as the problem. And I don't, I'm, I'm not dismissing that there are an issue with things they've, like antibiotic resistant problems. But their, the, their, their willingness to ignore that problem this whole time, despite people screaming about it for a decade, is exactly why it's happening. Overuse of antibiotics and so on. In this case, they're talking about antimicrobial resistance. But it's the same point. So they're creating a situation they're now pointing at as a problem, but only now that it serves their interest, in my opinion. But they're pointing this out in 2020. It says that the rise in multi-drug resistant bacterial infections, so that includes antibiotics, that are undetected, undiagnosed, and increasingly untreatable threatens the health of people in the USA and globally. In 2020 and beyond, we cannot afford to ignore antimicrobial resistance. Isn't that interesting? So coming back to this point, where they're admitting that the FDA is the ones are, are one of the main groups that are saying, test this, make this resistant to antibiotics, make this resistant to drugs that treat it. And we're going to pretend like that's not used or can't be or couldn't be or that's not got out. Some, I mean, there's so many possibilities with what we there's a whole conversation right now about whether this came from the lab. Now, you've heard my opinions on the point. I'm not going to get pulled in that today. But if that's even possibly, if they're having the conversation, shouldn't we ask whether this could be that too or could be, could get out of the lab? Why are we letting them do this? When it seems to be they're setting you up for the next thing. Now, I hope you'll check this out because this was about specifically how the mask that people are wearing is the two two of the main things they call out in this. They list four things as the as critical of 19. So four of the things they're most concerned about of those four Two of them are things that lead to candiosis, or how we pronounced it yesterday. Candida albicans and candida oris. 
Now, the part we discussed is what is exactly what we're talking about, which is called oral thrush, which leads to everything we're talking about. Systemic inflammation. It leads to bacterial pneumonia. It leads to everything. But they're pointing at that as a serious problem, resistant to, resistant to everything we're dealing with, that we treat it. And yet that has been created because of things they've done up until now. And the masks are what are creating the problem. You see how it works? Whether that's intentional or not, they seem to be leading it from every possible angle. Pretty interesting. Now, all of this, the lockdowns, masks, all, everything, restrictions, are just lingering in the, on, on the side right now. They're not going away. I think that's what we need to understand is that all this, like whether they're going to point to this, this new pandemic or monkeypox or climate change, it's all coming your way. And we need to see that unless we do something about it. Coronavirus to climate change. This is recent. Make way for more lockdowns. This is from the 27th. A new report from scientists and published in The Lancet finds climate change is, quote, increasingly affecting the foundations of human health and well-being. Like, I don't even know how you monetize that or monetize how you met, how do you, uh, quantify that i mean the reality is this is questioned at its core by high-level experts about whether this is even actually what's happening and you got the lancet who's by the way been caught from manipulating science during covid19 selling you on the idea that this phantom idea of climate change once global warming and global cooling and now climate change is increasingly affecting the foundations of your health and it says and that if governments don't stop using fossil fuels oh, okay now we see where it's going people will die people will die people will die that's all they're, what they're pushing it, in the reincarnation of COVID-19, John Kerry will play the role of Dr. Anthony Fauci. This is the article saying this. Actually, it's the next planned progression of the coronavirus, leading into the next planned phase of the, tyrann the tyrannical takings of individual liberties. It says, the pandemic is providing humanity with a reset moment, written by the World Economic Forum. A build back better opportunity, as the World Economic Forum also wrote. And that's how President Biden puts it as well. Build back better even though they stupidly still pretend like that had nothing to do with the exact thing that everybody else said around the world. They really think you're that stupid. It calls for the president to declare a national climate emergency under the National Emergencies Act, just like everything else we're telling you. That's how coronavirus clampdowns swung into high gear, they wrote, by declared national emergency. And I guess they forgot to include that that was by Donald Trump. And there we are. The reality, though, is this is coming your way. We need to do something about this. We need to resist this. We need to make sure other people are informed about what's really going on. And they're not alone. And in fact, they're the majority today because I believe they're going to attempt something like this and act like it's in your best interest. And the masks are still there as well. Check this out. Canada says, she, Bernie's tweets writes, what are you doing? The order to remove masking in schools that came down from Alberta's chief medical officer, right? The person moments ago, they were all screaming. We had to listen to trust the science. And she, then people like that are the science, right? She is the person who was making this happen before. So they were all saying we have to listen to them, right? But apparently that order that they removed has been found to be unreasonable by a judge. A judge, right? So you have the chief medical officer saying there's no reason for this. And a judge who is not a doctor, who is not a medical chief officer saying unreasonable. <laughs> we have lost it. Judges aren't following the science that loosens control over citizens' lives, right? I mean, are you, you're supposed to be, you're claiming you're trusting the science, but aren't they supposed to be what you're talking about? What are you looking at? Are you reading peer-reviewed science that says otherwise? Well, it's not there, so you're not. Order to lift mask mandate in Alberta schools, unreasonable. Think about how crazy that is, because we're not saying they have to not wear them. They're saying we're not going to force you to wear them. You could wear them if you want to. 
unreasonable. <laughs> so it's not unreasonable to force everyone to do it against their will, but it's unreasonable to make them have a choice. That's how broken we are today. My God. Now, talking about the broken reality of the foreign policy as well, I want to finish off today with how crazy hypocritical this is. I mean, just over the top, insulting hypocritical. I'm gonna, this is starting with a uh, Robert's outstanding article called The Hypocrisy of the West on Iranian Drone Usage in Ukraine. Now, there's a lot in here you should read for yourself. The point was, ultimately, that this is just it's a constant one-sided perspective. Only looking through the lens of anything they do that doesn't benefit us is therefore terrorist, criminal, whatever else you want to call it. And when we do exactly what we say they're doing, it's okay because we're not them. It's just as simple as that. And any but people go along with it for a multitude of reasons, for partisanship, for maybe they don't see any better, they don't know any better, they don't care enough. At the end of the day, though, it has to be, we have to hold them to account on this stuff because people are dying. They are killing people, whether they're in Ukraine, Yemen, Syria, everywhere else we're talking about. And yet they pretend they care about people's lives, except in these places, though. Does that add up for anybody? The hypocrisy is rife, and it's across the board. Here is the press briefing by KJP. And I want to play a couple clips of this and just, you know, let you see what they're actually saying. And it's, it's pretty, pretty ridiculous. Oh, actually, I forgot that I, let me make sure I got this link pulled up. We could just listen to it right there. Let's see. I know I downloaded it. It's in here somewhere. Not that one. Here we go. Press briefing. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, I do want to take a couple of minutes uh, to make some announcements that all of you already know, but uh, it's been a few weeks now, and I want to make sure I acknowledge uh, some new additions and well-earned promotions on our press team. You know how, we, how much we love wealth of knowledge and experience to our team, and we are grateful to have her. This morning, the president announced new action by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, CFPB, making clear two types of banking junk fees that cost Americans more than $1 billion annually are illegal, including and bounce, bounce check victiming. Today's actions are just the beginning. His team is working on future, future rules and fees. The president also highlighted recent actions by the FTC to crack down on unfair and deceptive resort fees or event ticket processing Sorry, hold fees. on. These are the custody of Iran's so-called, and these important steps uh, announced today will give Americans, as we say, as the president says, a little bit more of a breathing room. Uh, right now, because that's going to save everybody, right? It's not, it's not there destroying your livelihood by stopping everything you need and you know removing the access to food and supply chain and everything. No, no, that's that's not all Putin's fault. And we're going to do this thing that's going to benefit us and pretend that's going to give you some breathing room, <laughs> right? As you're standing in the food line. It has been uh, 40 days since the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini. In the custody of Iran's so-called morality police, we which, by the way, remember, is something that you know we should. I, I have an issue with the idea that they have something called the morality police, but I, I would have an issue with that, just like I have an issue with the way the U.S. government's doing that right now on their social media platforms and everybody else doing the same thing. Not that they're exactly the same thing. My point is that we have issues with those things. Even Robert was writing about it, the same thing. The point is there are people there that disagree with it, and the people that agree with it. That's their issue to deal with. The point is what they're doing is acting like they care about what happened to her. 
And I'll, I'll show you 14 examples about how they don't care about what's happening to the women in, in Israel what's ha- or Palestine, what's happening to the women in Yemen or the women in Syria. They don't care about those. What about the women in, U- in, in Donbass? Oh, who cares about them? Bad guys, right? But we care about this one woman that we're using, right? The point is, as she's going to get into, is the data shows you that they, she was died of a cardiac arrest. They made that into beaten, tortured. That was never proven, and, the, and, the, and there's no evidence that backs that up. But they'll keep saying it, though. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned about that. What I'm saying is there seems to be more to that story. And then you find out that they use this even though they don't care about women being aggressively mistreated everywhere else in their allies' countries. Join her family and the Iranian people. What about Saudi Arabia? Right. I mean, it just rings hollow when they pretend they care about these things for a day of mourning and reflection. The president said it at the U.N. General Assembly, and it remains true. Quote, we stand with the brave citizens and the brave women of Iran who right now are demonstrating to secure their basic rights. And right. We'll see. And they, this is how they misrepresent. They play on people's ignorance of the topic. Right. Remember, as Robert pointed out, the idea is that when they overthrew this country and destroyed it and caused a absolute despotic reality for most Iranians. And then later, when they won their country back from the CIA backed coup that was Operation Ajax. They saw many of them, whether they agreed with it religiously or not, or politically, that they saw the hijab as a symbol of anti-Western influence, which was them pushing back against the U.S. government's attempt to overthrow or take what was theirs, right? So that became a symbol of resistance. Now, over the years until now, obviously, I'm, I don't support a lot of what Iran's government does. Or I don't support really any governments. You guys know that. But the point is that that has been something that's been embraced by a lot of people that are going as far in the other direction because they want to resist. But at the same time, there are people that are realizing that they don't feel like they should have to. And that's a fair argument to make. That's why that, and, and by the way, that they try to frame it as it's not possible for them to change that, but that's not true. You can literally, if you actually look outside the Western lens, look at how Iran in general over the years has changed many things. Even in regard to that strict religion, if, if it, going through processes they're allowed to go through. It's not the authoritarian, it's a, it's a limited democracy or whatever you want to call it, like plenty of other places around the world that they don't want you to think about. I mean, it's just, it's so funny how people are so resistant to that because politics. Look at it. Talk to people that are there. There's plenty of people that have gone through. I mean, I go, I go off forever. But the point is that what she's talking about right here. And these important steps uh, announced. To- oh, in, in regard to like standing with them and the protesters and so on, is that they just want you to think that it's one sided and it's they're fighting for freedom and everybody's behind them. And that's just not true. You know who they're pointing out when they point to pretend that they're fighting for the MEK and these groups that are destroying. I mean, here's a good example, by the way, just to break off for a quick second. Right. So they're screaming about how we just stand with these great people fighting for freedom. You, you mean like you mean like these people? The, these footage of these Western Saudi backed peaceful protesters who are assassinating two young men in, in the middle of the night. Over the past month, these thugs have repeatedly threatened and harassed professors in their university faculty, especially women. Even the, they even threatened one of them with sexual assault. These are the good people fighting for women's rights, according to J- KJP. I mean, th- this is not everybody, but this is happening. This is my point. Now, what you're going to find when you actually research this stuff, and you can look through this for yourself. It's all over. Is that at the end of the day, there was an organic protest that took place. Because some of them do disagree with this, but then a lot of them, once they realize we're being used by outside forces, even though they disagree with their government, they don't support the U.S. taking over, that they stopped. And what we saw was people like this. A, a woman funded by the U.S. government. 
Here's the here's the actual tra- show proving that they're funding her up the, above six hundred thousand dollars. And she's the leader of the Iranian movement. No, she's the leader of the CIA back coup attempt. That's what I argue. Either way, that's what's happening now. And you see things like this or the other videos I already showed you where they're breaking windows or burning people alive. And that's OK, though, because it's in the direction of what they want to accomplish. So she's willing to say great people all fighting for freedom. But Trump can't say there's good people on both sides in an area where that was the reality, despite the extremists on both sides. There were, in fact, some good people on both sides, but they used it and went the way they went with it. And I'm not a supporter of Trump, but I'm, I'm not stupid. I'm not childish. I can acknowledge what he was actually saying. And here is an example of them doing the same thing, but far, far more ridiculous than he was. But that's OK. They will give Americans, as we say, as the president says, a little bit more of a breathing room. What? How do I do that? And stop sending weapons to Russia. Evidence that Iran is helping Russia remains true. Quote, we stand with the brave citizens and the brave women of Iran who right now are demonstrating to secure their basic rights. End quote. We are concerned that Moscow may be advising Moscow. Tehran on best practices to manage protests. Okay, so what they're saying here, and this gets really stupid, and it gets even worse when John Kirby tries to sell them on the fact that they're guessing into the wind, right? Russia may be possibly advising them on the best practices of something we pretend they do all the time, which is aggressively suppress protests. Now, I have no doubt that Russia's government does the same thing that all of these governments do. But the absurdity, which is always my point, which gets taken as defending Russia, it's not. The obvious point is that it rings hollow when you, the U.S. government who has assassinated people in protest in Ukraine, in Syria, and blamed it on the government and used that to invade and destroy their country. Yeah, we care about the protesters, except when we shoot them, though, right? It's insulting. These people are bad people that are actively using what they're doing to overthrow countries and then using narrative that they can't prove and saying they're doing what we always do and you should care about it. It's just ridiculous. Now, the point they're making here is that Russia is... Hel- or Iran, or rather, excuse me, Russia is helping Iran by advising them about how to murder protesters. Like, I mean, does that even make sense to anybody? Does Iran need help with? Are you the one arguing they're a terrorist sponsor of the world? So why would they need advisor advice on how to hurt people if that's what's true? Like, they they just they don't care how stupid they look. They sell you on what they need to say, and as long as they sell it as I mean, they want you to think the majority agrees with them. They don't. They are lost. Going on Russia's extensive experience in suppressing open demonstrations, the evidence that Iran is helping Russia rage its war against Ukraine is clear and it is public. Okay, so Iran helping Russia in its war is is aggressive and gross and bad and destructive, but then U.S. helping Ukraine is flowers and rainbows and puppy dogs and it's fantastic. That's called stupid hypocrisy. Now, I'm not saying you should support one side or the other, but you can't stand back and argue that one is bad and one is good. They are both the same thing. And anybody honest can argue that. But unless you want to pretend one guy's a demon, you know, devil of all time, who's only, you know, murdering civilians and gassing children, and you want to be that ridiculous about it, well, sure, play that game, but you're completely disconnected from the facts. It's that simple. And Iran and Russia are growing closer the more isolated they become. Our message to Iran <laughs> is very, very clear. Stop killing your people and stop sending weapons to Russia to kill Ukrainians. Ah, okay. So what do they think that's going to do? 
Now Ron's going to go, oh, okay, dang it. Well, she told us to, so now we got to stop. Stop, drive. You guys here? Stop killing people. J- KJP said we can't kill people anymore. And we got to stop. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it, this is all, this is theater. That's what it is. Simple. Theater meant to sell you on the idea that that's what they're doing because didn't you hear? They asked them to stop. They must be doing it. All governments are capable of this and they all actively would do things like this if it's in their best interest, in my opinion. Plenty of people disagree with that. I don't think so. But what you're ultimately doing is setting the tone that they're hurting people and what they're doing is giving people help to kill civilians in Ukraine. Is that what's happening? Have they even proven that those drones are being used to hurt people on the ground? Well, no, they haven't. That's what they're saying. But you know who's very clearly, I mean, in every, I mean, you can't throw a stone in Ukraine right now without seeing video or footage or statements of them cheering on hurting civilians and killing the Donbass and saying that they're needless and let's exterminate them. And they don't, they're not, they're, they shouldn't be, I mean, everything under the sun. I've shown you all this. I was trying to remember the other quotes they had, but regardless, they are actively hurting people in Donbass, calling them traitors, except the government wants you to think that they're trying to save them from Russia. That's how silly this all is. We remain committed to ensuring that those responsible for the brutal crackdown on those courageous protesters are held accountable. What about the protesters in Canada, the truckers? What about the protesters in numerous examples during COVID-19 that you absolutely attacked, ran over with horses, car, I mean, everything else. It's, It's insulting to pretend that what they did is any different. And then pretending like what is happening over there is what they say it is, despite the evidence. Today, we are announcing a joint action between the state and Treasury departments, designating 14 individuals and three entities using five different authorities, demonstrating our commitment to use all appropriate tools to hold all level of the Iranian government to account. Specifically, we are designating Iranian government officials who hold leadership positions within Iran's police and prison systems and who are responsible for or complicit in serious human rights abuses. Okay. We are designating, designating the governor of the province of Sistan and Balochistan for his role in overseeing the violent response by security forces against peaceful protesters. It's just the same we are ongoing designating thing. Individuals designating what? And it remains true. Quote, we stand with the brave closer, the more isolated they become. Our entities using five. Here it is. For the brutal crackdown on those courageous protesters are held accountable. Today, we are announcing a joint action between the state and treasury departments, okay. designating 14 individuals and. Th- as what? Designating them as what? J- KJP. You're designating them what? Three entities using five as different authorities, demonstrating our commitment to use all appropriate tools to hold all level of the Iranian government to account. Specifically, we are designating Iranian government officials who hold leadership positions within Iran's police. I guess you just forgot the main part. We're designating them as what? Are you sanctioning them? Are they terrorists? (laughs) It's just so bad at this. Police and prison systems and who are responsible for or complicit in serious human rights abuses. We are designating the governor of the province of Sistan and Balochistan for his role in overseeing the violent response by security forces against peaceful protesters. We are designating individuals who are... So here's a good example to make, right? 
Is that possible? Sure. I have no doubt that they could be comp- uh, comp- uh, capable of something like that. What if these were MEK funded, backed by the U.S. and Saudi, US and Saudi government who were there destroying things, breaking windows, burning things and burning people alive, which is happening? Would they be justified then to violently stop them? What do you think? I'm not, I'm not saying I know or I'm just simply posing a question. That is happening to a certain degree. And you know what does happen when they stop them? Even, even if they don't use weapons, when they just arrest them and throw them to the ground, they go, oh my God, violations. But we're over here being forcefully injected and forcefully locked up. I mean, every, it's just such an interesting overlap. They're the ones currently funding radicals in Iran. And that's verifiable. And when those radicals cause violence and they stop them, they cry foul. That happens every single time. This is a classic regime change tactic. Actively serve as commanders in the IRGC for their brutal response to protesters. Yeah, the military. And we are designating two entities involved in censorship, surveillance, Censor- and censorship. cyber activity. I believe she meant censorship. We'll, we'll just assume for now. Against the Iranian people. The United States stands with Iran, Iranian women and with all the citizens of Iran who are inspiring the world with their bravery. We will continue taking action to impose costs on those who commit violence against peaceful... Right, how many times have these actions done anything? These are all for narrative. We are sanctioning 430,000 Iranians. Okay, nothing ever happens, right? The sanctions in some level do have an effect. Because you actually hurt civilian lives and that you are that drives them to do something against their own government. That's all they're trying to accomplish. But all these arguments of sanctions. And by the way, I'm, get, I'm still waiting for it to express how, designated as what? As what? What are you designating them as? She didn't say it. She just went over it, which is hilarious to me. But it's the same tactics they use repeatedly over and over and over. It's the same nonsensical arguments over and over. They don't need to prove like, doesn't anybody ask what they're prove these things to me? How do you prove that they did what you said was wrong? Was there video of it? How do you know that then? Who's there telling you that nobody cares unless it's Matt Lee, apparently <laughs> the Associated Press. protesters or otherwise seek to suppress their very, very basic rights. And with that, I will turn turn it over to my NSC uh, colleague, John Kirby, who's here to uh, take a few questions. Now, what's funny to me, by the way, is watch how much better John Kirby is at this than she is. I mean, it's just night and day. But nonetheless, he still gets forced into a corner with this with these good questions. And you'll see what I mean. But he handles himself. It's just you'll see what I mean. Uh, Just a couple things at the top. As you know, President Biden was pleased to welcome Israeli President Isaac Herzog to the White House earlier this afternoon. The two leaders discussed uh, the enduring strength of the U.S.-Israeli uh, partnership. Of course. All the ways that we can deepen cooperation. Between- of course, right? Because we're, we're, we're just searching for more ways to deepen cooperation with Israel because that's all we ever want to do is deepen cooperation with an open apartheid state that's currently murdering people as spoken by all the leading human rights organizations. But, you know, freedom, <laughs> right? But don't also, Rishi from the UK also said the same thing openly saying calling them apartheid state is completely out not true (laughs) okay so all the human leading human rights organizations are lying or wrong aren't they the ones you point at when you want to attack iran yeah but we don't like what they're saying there so we're going to fake call it fake news yeah disgusting (laughs) disgusting these are bad people hurting people right now right now in occupied palestine that people have always maintained as an illegal occupation but we don't care about that one though 
And we don't care about the illegal occupation of Yemen and the ongoing starvation campaign or the burning of wheat and, and oil and stealing oil in Syria or, you know, Libya, open slave markets. You know, that's all good freedom stuff, though. We're worried about women being tackled and arrested and being forced to wear hijabs. You know, that is the big deal stuff, though. Right. I'm not even trying to diminish what people in Iran are going through if they're trying to fight against that. That's their prerogative and they have a right to. But think about the contrast there. That's what they care about. Well, Nazis in Ukraine are burning people, are burning people, taping them to poles and beating them alive and raping them. And it's all been documented. Of course, you won't hear that in corporate media, though. In the two countries and, of course, our unshakable commitment to Israel's security. Of course, unshakable commitment to their security. Primary to U.S. interests, Israel's security. That makes sense, right? Range of global and regional issues of mutual concern, including the threats posed by Iran and its proxies. President anybody want to explain for me what kind of threat Iran is currently posing to literally anybody outside of Iran? Seriously, genuine question. Now, I'm not saying the narrative and what they're posing. I'm saying evidence, tangible, in-your-hand realities that show that Iran is doing something in the world that is affecting. Now, I'm not talking about Hezbollah or the Houthis or. Uh, uh, I'm blanking on the term all of a sudden the the, the group in. Uh, uh, Hamas is one of them, too. Anyway, all the groups that I mean, they just clumsily try to patch in together with with Iran. And it's not they're ideologically connected and it worked in the past in different ways, but they are not just Iran. That and so there's. The, the argument that they're doing something is insulting to your intelligence while you can literally, visually, every day watch what Israel's doing to people in Palestine or elsewhere or bombing Syria or bombing an, or violating Lebanon's rights or stealing their resources, which is happening right now, or with the U.S. government in pretty much every location that they're trying to liberate. All on the surface, they just yell freedom. We're supposed to blind our eyes to it. But Iran, oh man, let me list off the things we claim they're doing, but you can't see. Now, who do you listen to? You should consider it, of course. But evidence matters, doesn't it? It's pledged to ensure Iran never acquires a nuclear weapon. Which they've always maintained they're not even trying to accomplish. And as Robert maintains, and the evidence backs up, that they have a religious intent to not do so. It violates their beliefs. Of course they could be lying, and I've always said that. The evidence continues to show you that they don't want to, and they've never tried to. Now, the concept of the JCPOA, which gets misunderstood because they want you to, is that they have legally breached the deal for years now because of what the U.S. government did that was within the, I think it was Article 26 and 36. I'm probably correct. I might be off on one of them. You can read this in the JCPOA. If the U.S. government does exactly what it did, which was pull out of the deal or reinitiate sanctions, then Iran was allowed to breach the deal, legally speaking, not violate it, but breach in the sense that they could start doing certain actions that increase their certain directions of their holdings allowably. Now, that in no way even remotely means they're making nuclear weapons. They are not even close to the percentage they would need to be able to begin to make the parts needed to make a nuclear weapon. This is provable. I've gone over this so deep in past shows. Now, could it all be happening behind the scenes secretly? Sure. Israel loves to make that argument every 30 seconds and gets proven to be false or make ever. They're going to have a nuclear weapon by next year for the last 30 years, like climate change or everything else. But the point is, it's not provable. And the evidence that you do see contradicts everything they're saying but they just love to repeat the lies. Then, you know, Assad's gassing children. He loves to. That's what they keep telling you anyway, despite the evidence. They also celebrated the forthcoming conclusion of a historic agreement uh, concerning the maritime boundary. 
uh, dispute between Israel and Lebanon, and that was mediated by the United States. Right. That read article articles written by Robert on on the website right now about this. It's it's completely opposite of what they're right now. They are stealing this from. They're trying to steal the resources of I think the Kerch gas field and another one from Lebanon, because that will literally, in and of itself, bring them out of their economic problems. Yeah, we, we, we care about the people, though, right? But we're actively stopping that from happening because Israel wants to benefit from their resources. That's as simple as it is. That's what's happening. And the U.S. stands behind Israel at all costs. President Biden praised Israel's statecraft and their courage and noted that the agreement will set the stage for a much more stable and prosperous region. As we- I just want to make a quick point, just glancing at the chat. Somebody's saying uh, that I agree with Ryan, but I don't trust any government. I just want to make sure it's clear. In no way was I arguing I trust any of these governments. I feel like that was explicitly clear, but just in case. What I'm saying is doubt all of them. Every single one of them. But you have to acknowledge the evidence we can prove for all of them right now, and that very clearly slants in one direction. I think that's abundantly clear. Now, you can disagree with me on that, but you damn well better be able to produce the evidence you claim is on the other side, but I'm not seeing it. Well, as being able to harness vital new energy sources for the world. The president also made clear his commitment to advance peace and stability. In the Vital new energy sources for the world. Come on. I mean, what a clumsy argument. Yeah, because Israel's going to steal the energy from Lebanon and that'll benefit the world. When's the last time that happened? And highlighted U.S. support for Israel's further regional integration into the Arab world. He emphasized the importance of taking steps to de-escalate the security situation in the West Bank. I guess they gave up on trying to pretend Israel's part of Europe. I guess that's that that psychological operation is over. Uh, and underscored that a negotiated two-state solution remains the best avenue to achieve a lasting peace. Right. The two-state solution that Israel openly and actively says will never happen. That's the kind of garbage we get fed. That We're going to continue to try to make... They will never, ever, ever, ever let that happen. They say that every time you ask them. But yet here's the U.S. going, we're committed to the thing... They're committed to never changing the status quo. That's what they're committed to. He also underlined the need to take continued steps to improve the lives of Palestinians, which are, of course, critical to peace, security, and prosperity in the right. region. That sounds all nice and pretty, except they go out and kill them today, right now, this moment. Right now, right? How dare they go an extra 30 feet out into the water? Shoot them dead right now. Oh, do we forget to tell them we shrunk that by two, mi- two miles today? Right? There's a barrier within the area they're allowed to fish in, and they don't even know where that changes to every other day. And the moment is they, they go past it, they shoot them without any warning. But, you know, we care about Palestinian lives, right? That kid threw a rock in our face. Shoot him dead right now. But we care about Palestinian lives, right? I mean, it's just insulting, this kind of garbage they spit out. And, of course, when you push this on people that don't believe what the Palestinians are saying, they're all terrorists anyway, though, right? Remember, that was actually an argument they they used to say. Some people are stupid enough to say it still. There's never going to Palestine. (laughs) Remember those arguments they were literally making like a a year ago? (laughs) How ridiculous. I think you know. Just a second. I think you know uh, he's meeting with uh, senior uh, defense uh, leaders right now. This is part of a semi-annual senior leaders conference uh, that the Pentagon hosts uh, twice a year, bringing together uh, all the commanders of the 11 combatant commands as well as the leadership, both civilian and military, of each of the six branches of the service. Coming right in the wake of the release of the national security strategy, the timing just couldn't be better for, for having this discussion this afternoon with these leaders, and I suspect... Uh, you'll see that they'll they'll discuss a wide uh, range of crackdown on its abilities and our own as well as a whole Dang range it. of I other waited issues. Too long. <laughs> so lots to discuss today and I know he's looking forward to having that. There we go. Uh, thanks, uh, John. Great. Uh, hoping you might be able to find a little bit more uh, 
context of the evidence about the Koreans uh, allegation before that Moscow may be um, supporting uh, Iran's crackdown on its civilian population. Uh, and that's exactly what it was. They're claiming without evidence that Russia's training Iran on their advisory and advisory role on how to crack down a protest. Is that not exactly what she said? What uh, expertise uh, does the U.S. believe Moscow is providing and what evidence do you have to back up that? Good question. I'm not going to get into too, too much of the uh, of the uh, the sources of the information. Ah, pish posh facts. Who needs that? Here at the podium, Corrine uh, uh, wasn't putting forth an allegation. She was putting forth a fact. Don't you love that? So I'm not going to get into all the facts here at the podium, right? Meet me outside by the dumpster. Where else are you supposed to do it, bud? This is where it's supposed to happen. I'm not going to get into the facts, but what she said was a fact. Are these people clowns or what? Like, do they, not, do they want us to see how stupid they are? Or how, how, how lie, I mean, I, maybe it's stupid or not, how, how dishonest they are? Uh, we, that we know they may be considering uh, some sort of support to... Oh, wait a minute. Now, now we, know they, we know they may be considering support. That just got exponentially less, conser- less legitimate. She said they are training them. Now he says we, we, we know that they may be considering <laughs> this is a cartoon. As, as, Steve, as Steve says, we are living in a cartoon. Uh, Iran's ability to crack down protesters. And sadly, Russia has experience uh, at doing that. Yeah, so do you. So, so does the United States government. So does the UK government. So does the France government. French government. Of course they do. Aggressively. And again, does Iran need advisory ad- advice on how to crack down on protesters? I mean, look, look at what they're what you're seeing in the videos. Are they doing some extra special technique that only Russia does? <laughs> no. So what are they talking about? So we'll see. We'll watch where this goes. Uh, but it's just which yet means we don't know. Which means uh, we're guessing or lying. Of, uh, Russia and Iran now uh, working together uh, to uh, that's all it is to, to violate the, not only the human rights of, and civil rights of people in Iran. But, of course, put in further danger the, the lives of Ukrainians. By, by giving them weapons to fight their war, like the U.S. is doing in reverse. That doesn't put lives in danger in the same exact way? I guess your bombs kill in the right way, apparently. Has that support begun, or is it just Mo- Moscow considering that? Right. Well, what I would say is we, have some, we see signs that they, that they may be considering the, the ability to help train Iranians on cracking down on protesters. I won't. I don't want to go too much uh, into more detail. I would just say we've seen signs that they may be considering wow. lending that kind of support. Wow. I mean, so that this is being walked back right now. We've seen signs now that they may be considering possibly helping these people. <laughs> How are you not embarrassed to stand there and make this argument? I mean, the point is, we have no idea. We're saying this without anything to back it up because we want you to think about that. We want you to put these two people in the same corner so we can frame them as the axes of evil or whatever else you're trying to create here. It's just ridiculous. There's, it's possible, of course it is. But they are simply saying this from a perspective to make you think what they want you to think. Just like they always do. But that's just an important point of clarification because the transcript, I believe, will read, we are concerned that Moscow may be advising Iran. So these are two different things. Exactly. We're, you're maybe considering, advising. maybe advising, already maybe happening, advising. considering advising. Right, maybe advising. I mean, I, I'm actually surprised they even called that out. Right, you are using contradictory terms. Are they doing it, or are they thinking about it? I mean, it's just backward. And he just re- and he re- reiterates the point. We don't know. 
the the ability to help train Iranians on cracking down on protesters. Sorry, I don't want to go too much uh, into more detail. Again, why do you how do you even say that? So we're asking for facts. This is where you give facts to people. So, you know, we don't want to go into too much detail about something that has nothing to do with national security. Why? Because we have no idea we're talking about. And, you know, this is a lie and you just want to float it without data. So you can't be really held responsible for it. So later it gets spun through the media as exactly what you said, which is what you're going to see right now. If you look at these headlines, Russia's working with Iran to fight killing Ukraine. Exactly that. Because they said, and there's nothing to back it up. Would you say we've seen signs that they may be considering lending that kind of support to Iran? I just, I'm sorry, I know I just said this, but really think about that again. We've seen signs that they may be considering. What would that look like exactly? Somebody play the game with me here. What would it look like to see a sign that may be considering advising them? Is that a document? Was that a statement on TV? I mean, really, guys, I mean, think about how ridiculous that is. What in the world could constitute a sign that they may be considering advising somebody? <laughs> this is how bad this is. This is how easy this is to point out if you just look past the partisan arguments. But, but that's just an important point of clarification, because the transcript, I believe, will read, we are concerned that Moscow may be advising Iran. So these are two different things. We're, you're maybe considering advising. maybe advising already <laughs> maybe happening. Advising. Considering advising. Right. Maybe advising. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And <laughs> okay, so not considering, her- even though you just said considering. Maybe. Okay, got it. Got it. Let's just go with the second one, John. <laughs> oh, God, it's just so embarrassing. Um, I'm assuming you saw the comment from Peskov this morning yeah. uh, in which he said all contacts of the sort should be held in quiet. Is this a signal of some kind? Uh, are you interpreting this as a signal of some kind that they're open to increased dialogue, further dialogue, or has there been any more dialogue since the verdict, uh, since yesterday's decision court ruling? I don't have anything. Oh, wait, no, I, I thought, yeah, I wasn't sure. I thought there was one more point, but that's it. That's the, the point on Iran that I was going to get at. So that's where they're standing right now. So sending drones exactly like the U.S. is to Ukraine, that's, that's terrorist stuff, though, because they're terrorists. Simple, right? Even though we're doing it over here. But Russia is also helping them, considering training possibly people tomorrow. Maybe if they think, you know, whatever next, whatever other adjective you can add in there, whatever the term would be, to help them crack down on protesters. Despite we've claimed that they've done that repeatedly their entire lifetime of existence, up, you know, every day, but they need help today to do it. Whatever it is to connect them there, because they're working together. That's all we want you to think. But here... You won't see this in mainstream media because it's not Iran. Israel's terror on Palestinian women. Right, the same Palestinians they just said we care about. This is everywhere, guys. This is constant. Why don't, why don't they matter? Right? I mean, you can, you, you already know what, the, what this would be perceived. If this was a, a video of Iran doing this, it would be, it would be the, everywhere and across the media. Because it's Israel doing it, nobody cares. In the corporate media. 
Yep. That's the reality. Here's another example. As Carlos points out, ask yourself why the West seems so concerned about the rights of Iranian women, but doesn't give a damn about Palestinian women imprisoned, tortured, and killed by Israeli apartheid. Good question. Because they don't care about it in general. That's why. They care about using it as a means to an end. That's what they're doing. Mick Wallace points out, what part of our wonderful European values allows the EU to be comfortable with Zionism, which is a form of colonialism carried out by the apartheid state of Israel against the people of Palestine? Why does the EU tolerate Israeli terrorism? Good question. Here's Mint Press News. A Palestinian man is detained by an Israeli soldier while his home is demolished in front of him. This is Zionism. Also take note of the very creative way they use his mask against him to cover his eyes. That, that is a mask that's being worn for COVID that's covering his eyes as they force him to sit there while they destroy his home and make him pay for it. That's actually what's happening. I saw a horrifyingly sad video of a woman clutching her dead son's grave, a son killed by Israel as they destroy, they, they're going to destroy the graveyard to put in a theme park or something equally ridiculous. Right. And they were, and this is this, they were dragging her from his grave so they can dig it all up and build something like that. This is happening every day in this country, in this occupied territory. In these cases, guys, they literally say, you tear your own house down or we'll do it and make you pay for it. I'm not, this is provable. But this is allowable because, you know, freedom. God, it just makes me sick. Now, we also talked about this. Shireen, right? The U.S. citizen, journalist, who was shot dead by Israeli forces, and they even lied about it, and then it came out that they did shoot her, and they came, they went, well, we don't, it was by accident, so shut up. That's essentially what happened. And then tried to knock down the casket while it was being sent to the grave, but when did they, when did they care about that? When did they scream about the U.S. citizen is shot and a journalist by Israel, and they, nobody, no, where's Biden's comments on that? Where's KJP's comments about them being hurt? What about that woman and her rights? That's the point we're making here. Not that it can't be possible for them to do it or that they are doing it, but that it does not hold water when they pretend they care about it as they're doing it more than anyone in the world, them and their allies. There's another example we showed you the other day. Israeli forces killed four in Jenin, and they literally mutilated the body of a dead Palestinian. I'm forgetting off the top of my head what it actually said. It, it read the end in Hebrew. That this this is provable. This happened. Nobody in the corporate media cared about it. Their rights don't matter, apparently. Now, into Ukraine to finish off the show today. And quick update before we finish off on the farce that is the nuclear argument. Russia accuses Britain, interestingly enough, of involvement. So just not sole responsibility, but involvement in the Nord Stream explosion. This was today this came out. The Russian army on Saturday accused the UK of helping Ukraine plan a plan a drone attack on its Black Sea fleet in the Crimean port of Sebastopol and said that one of its ships suffered minor damage. Now, before we even get into whether like there's we're going to get into a point where it's provable that 
the U.S. government is using its satellites, including Starlink and Elon Musk overlap, to help the Ukrainian fascists carry out attacks on both civilians and military. This is provable stuff, right? But so Iran sending drones that are used, whether on civilians or not, which I, I haven't seen that evidence. They're calling that terrorism. But this is okay, though. Right. But they also act like it's unprecedented for Russia to claim that they're involved in this while they're actively taking part. Now, that's what I'm getting to next. This is their claim that this is what they were about to do using this drone attacks or getting planning it with the Ukrainian military to attack the Russian fleet. This says the preparation of this terrorist attack and the training of the military personnel of the Ukrainian 73rd Special Center for Maritime Operations were carried out under the guidance of British specialists located in the city of Ochakiv in Ukraine's Mykolaiv region. Moscow's defense ministry said, could be lying, of course, like any other situation, representatives of this unit of the British Navy took part in the planning, provision, and implementation of a terrorist attack in the Baltic Sea on September 26th. That blew up the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines. So not only are they planning new attacks that they essentially stopped, they claim, but they were also involved with the Nord Stream explosions. It's a big claim. Now, the reason I think it's important is Russia very rarely makes a claim like that when they don't at least have something they can produce to make to prove it, or at the very least what they claim is proving it. They can falsify evidence like anybody, but it's very rare that you see the U.S. government make claims like we just saw, and then they go, and here's the evidence. Almost never, which tells you something, doesn't it? They go, narrative, intelligence, national security, trust us. Every single time from the limpet mines of Iran to today or whatever else you want to look at, they go, yeah, we know national security. But Russia comes out and says, here's this. Here's some evidence. That's usually what happens. Now, it doesn't mean they're always telling the truth, but it's quite a big difference, isn't it? Now, I, I continue to argue that Russia, in this case and many other cases, is playing the role of the good guy because it's wildly advantageous right now. That's just my perspective. I, I just have a hard time believing any government is on your side. That's my bias. But here's Reuters. Zelensky calls on the West to warn Russia not to blow up a dam. <laughs> I, Zelensky's just terrible and clumsy the way he sets these things up. But, they, you know, it's just Zelensky says something and they vomit it back out across the corporate media every single time. So apparently he's going, Russia's going to do this. We say so. So warn them not to do it. What does that sound like to you? Does that make your false flag hair stand up on the back of your neck? It does for me. Why would he? I mean, it's, just, it's very strange. And it gets even worse. Ukrainian President Zelensky urged the West to warn Russia not to blow up a dam that would flood a large area of southern Ukraine as his forces prepared to push Moscow's troops from that area. Zelensky said Russian forces had planted explosives inside the huge Nova, the dam, and were planning to blow it up. Okay, so am I, you see what stands out, hopefully? So Zelensky is going, we're going to go in that area. And he planted explosives in that area. Warn him not to do that. But we're going in. So you're stupid enough to go into an area where you claim that they're about to explode a dam that would kill you all. And we're supposed to take that at face value? I mean, think about how ridiculous that is. It's certainly possible they could plant mines. But something about this, or bombs, something about this clearly doesn't add up. To me, this screams, Zelensky said, and we're planning to execute a manipulation. Where's the evidence that Russia even said they were going to do this? This comes from whole cloth from what Zelensky said is happening. You mean the Zelensky lied about Bucha or Kramastok train station or literally every other thing we've seen come out of the ghost of Kiev, the raping of children, every one of those things they got caught lying about. Despite that most people that are listening to Fox or CNN don't know. 
Well, here's what's interesting. As I just pointed out, this is how it trickles down. So here he is on the 21st going, tell them not to do the thing we say is happening. And then Sky News dutifully picks up the tr- picks it up and goes forward. What is a dirty bomb? Again, the dirty bomb was the other thing they just said, which Ukraine is very clearly involved with manipulating. We've seen this from the very beginning and just going, Russia's going to do that. That's all it is. Even though Russia's going, we're not going to, and I'll show you that next. They could be lying, of course, but what's holding this up? They're claiming Russia's threatening nuclear war, but they're right now going, that's not going to happen. It's off the table. That's actually what's happening. I mean, since they said it, I'll just point it real quick. Rules out using nuclear weapons. Now, of course, it could be lying. But at what point do you realize, like, every, there's no threat here other than you're saying that they might do that. Certainly possible. But before it was, they're threatening these. They're doing that. The only people right now openly threatening nuclear war in action is the U.S. government. Or the, or the people involved. We'll come back to this in a second. The point here is the dirty bomb was something, again, floated by Zelensky. It says, and is Russia planning to blow up the dam that Zelensky just pointed at? (laughs) Interesting, right? Well, here's the funny part about this. He is ruling out using nuclear weapons in Ukraine. But where's the corporate media on that? Their arguments were, he's threatening nuclear weapons, even though you can prove that's not even remotely what they said. They simply said that it was a possibility if they push us to that limit. Meanwhile, the U.S. government screams every time they ask, nothing's off the table. We reserve the right to use first attack, first strikes with nuclear weapons. I mean, think how bellicose and belligerent that is. But he's now saying it's off the table, and they don't even talk about it, and yet they still continue the narrative that he's threatening nuclear weapons. Speaking at a conference of international foreign policy experts, Putin said it's pointless for Russia to strike Ukraine with nuclear weapons. We see no need for that. There is no point in that, neither political nor military. Now, you can get into more of the nuance of it, and the point is simply that that's not, that's not in the cards. But you know who else is still pushing that? The U.S. government. Continually saying that that's something that's possible. But when asked about it, this is five hours ago, right? So, He says publicly on the 27th, not going to happen. Political rights about it. So they all know about it. And then three days later, somebody asks him directly. What do you think about sending everyone to heaven with nuclear war? What a dumb question, by the way. And he smiles about it because it's a stupid question. First of all, he's already said clearly it's not going to happen. So the insinuation that he's going to send everyone to heaven with nuclear war. It's a stupid question. And it's only meant to set up the idea that he doesn't care about it or whatever else. And that's the point. Putin smirks as he's asked a stupid question. That's what it should read. Putin has been captured smirking at the prospect of sending everyone to heaven. My God. So now you're pretending that he's smiling because he's thinking about killing everybody. Does anybody actually take these people seriously? How would you even know that? Now, the reality here that I think is very clear, I mean, it's possible, but with the evidence as opposed to narrative and just what you say it is, the evidence clearly shows that he's already said this. He's already repeatedly been asked this, and he's already said that's not going to happen. That was three days ago. So as you keep pretending the idea, he's going to laugh because he already realizes how stupid the media is like we do. And he always points that out. Now, that applies to media in Russia, too. But he's ta- the point is that he sees how g- aggressively the Western media actively takes things out of context and yells the narrative they want you to see. I would smile, too, because stupid. Here is the real threat. 
right? The open action and comments about we're going further. We're doing this. We're deploying more troops. We're going to do this. If he does that, we're going to attack this. That's not happening in reverse. American troops prepared to engage in a war with Russia. Okay, is anybody confused about that being possible? So simply writing an article with that statement and them saying that is about keeping you in the mindset that we're ready to defend our freedom against the threat they're building. No one needs to come out and say, troops are prepared to engage in this war. That has been said every 10 seconds to the entire time this has been going on or insinuated. But it says U.S. aircraft carriers prepared to lead an international charge should Russia escalate attacks in Ukraine. Right. So if they dare to increase their bombing in a war, well, there you go. That says it all. They're doing what happens in war and we can't allow that. It's just silly. This is just a silly thing to happen. Now, I don't support any of this in general. What I do support is the fact that this should be stopped. And the one main way to stop this is for the U.S. government to stop continually funding extremists on the ground like they did in Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, and, you know, everywhere else. But not this time, though, because they're being honest about this war. That is constant. And this is the best example of what I'm talking about. Here is ARS Technica. Russia threatens a retaliatory strike against U.S. commercial satellites. That's the headline. Subheadline. Western actions needlessly put at risk the sustainability of peaceful space activities. Now, at least they put it in the subhead subtitle. But the reality is what Russia is saying, and they actually actually included the quote. What they say is so entirely different than the way they frame it in this headline. Now, the crazy part is what they bring up in this in this quote should be the focus of the article. Like what U.S. government is doing by using commercial satellites in wartime to act to effectively target Russian forces in a war that the U.S. is pretending they're not even involved in is wild and is a big deal. And, and he argues violates the space treaty. And their only focus is he threatened to attack satellites. You'll see what I mean. This is crazy. Russia's made some of its most provocative comments yet about Western commercial satellites, which have provided valuable imagery and communications data to Ukraine, you know, and, you know, definitely allowing them to target people on the ground, which we've already proven. And they've boasted about suggesting that they are appropriate wartime targets. Well, let's see, they're pretending they're not doing that second, the third part. But even if they're not imagery communications, you're assisting the war. Of course, that makes it a valid war target like it would in reverse and like you would argue in reverse. But the real point is about them using these things to actually kill people. And it's, but you could argue the communications and images the same same difference. But the point is, in comments made Wednesday, and a, a for, the foreign ministry, Russia's foreign ministry, a member of it, Konstantin Voronstov, said the use of Western commercial satellites by Ukraine is an extremely dangerous trend. It is. While the the minister did not specifically name any satellites which is also important as they act like he's targeting specific areas. He almost certainly was, this is their inference, referencing star SpaceX Starlink satellite. Well, he didn't say that. So that's quite a leap to argue that's the one. But I mean, I shouldn't say it's a leap because that is one of the most important in what's going on. But I think it's leaning in the direction of including Elon Musk and that whole conversation and all of this. Like he's threatening Elon Musk now. But it says, which has been used by Ukrainian soldiers for communications and synthetic aperture radar satellites that have tracked Russian troops and tank movements. Okay, so right there, you're using satellites that allow them to target Russian troops on the ground. Why would that not be a little illegitimate wartime target? 
they just crying foul when something happens to them they don't like. But here's what the actual statement is. Now, you've already seen how they're framing it. It's right there. Threatening retaliatory strikes, which is funny since it's retaliatory. So it wouldn't really be. Anyway, here's what they say. This is the most important part. Why would we would like to specifically stress this is Russia speaking or one of their representatives, an extremely dangerous trend that goes beyond the harmless use of our outer space technologies and has become apparent during the latest developments in Ukraine, namely the use by the United States and its allies of civilian, including commercial infrastructure elements in outer space for military purposes. I mean, how logical is it? Exactly. If this was in reverse, this is this. If the U.S. said this, everybody like, of course. Apparently, they they continue. These states do not realize that such action, in fact, constitute indirect participation in military conflicts. Obviously, quasi civilian infrastructure. I'm glad they said quasi civilian because I don't argue these aren't commercial satellites anymore, especially as they rush into the public private mindset. May become a legitimate target for retaliation. Of course. I mean, look, they're arguing that people in Ukraine that simply were pro-Russian or were saying, yeah, they went that way, were being assassinated, murdered, and Ukrainian military were screaming and praising about that. They're traitors. So if an individual that simply points in that direction can be murdered, how exactly would a satellite that pinpoints Russian locations not be? Western actions needlessly put at risk. Western actions needlessly put at risk the sustainability of peaceful space activities. It's a good point. But I argue Russia doesn't really, I mean, I believe that none of these governments truly care about the doing right by people. That's my pessimistic mentality. And that's really just pointing out what they would probably do in reverse. But as well as numerous social and economic processes on Earth that affect the well-being of people, first of all, in developing countries. At the very least, this provocative use of civilian satellites is questionable under the Outer Space Treaty. At 100% it is. You're not supposed to use any military overlap in the outer space. That's that that was the whole point I made about Space Force with Trump. I mean, it was a direct violation, in my opinion, of the space treaty. But it says which only provides for the peaceful use of outer space and must be strongly condemned by international community, com, uh, com, uh, international community. That's it. That statement got contorted into they threaten retaliatory strikes against satellites. That's really what you take from that. You're, you're, you, what you take from that statement is threatening retaliatory strikes. How about the fact that what they just said was what the U.S. government is doing is forcing this to happen. They're dry, they are violating treaties like they always do. They're using civilian and commercial infrastructure to attack people on the ground. And that's our fault. I'm speaking as them. I mean, that's ridiculous. This is not the first time that he's made these such comments. They say he's made similar remarks last month to the United Nations office. However, it's not clear to what extent Russia might be able to follow through on their commercial targeting satellites like that. There's no mention at all throughout the entire article about any of the things they point out. The whole thing goes on to point out how threatening satellites and what that could mean and space mercenaries. It goes on to say, nevertheless, it now seems clear that the perception of commercial space assets in space is changing. Oh, is it now? Is that Russia's fault? That's what they're insinuating. The reason that may be changing, if that's the case, is because the U.S. government is using commercial satellites for war. Russia's comments and similar remarks from China show that the countries see Western commercial satellites as military assets rather than separate entities. How do you even have the nerve to write that sentence when you just wrote that they're using those for war? But apparently it's their bad for misinterpreting them as wartime assets. It says, for decades, of course, commercial satellites have carried U.S. communications and military communications. But this isn't about communications. 
This is about actual targeting. And on top of that, the communications by military people to target Russian soldiers is the same difference. It says, but these were viewed as independent entities whose capabilities the Department of Defense could call upon. What, is that what the U.S. has to say? I mean, anybody can see what this really amounts to. But it says, now American adversaries see little to no difference. Of course, bad guy. Because bad guy's going to bad guy, and they don't care. Bad is commercial or not, they're going to bomb them, and we should be mad about that. Who cares if we're using those things to kill people on the ground in Ukraine, including civilians? Or, you know, I don't know, targeting people in Moscow, like Dugan's daughter? Nah, who cares about those kind of things? How dishonest and gross this all is. That is an open... They are continually risking your safety in every part of your life by continually driving us closer to real war. I don't mean to imply what's happening there's not real. I mean, like, world war. Now, here's my point about nuclear attacks or nuclear threats. So Russia's going, look, it's off the table. We're not even going to... We're not doing that. They could be lying. But here's what the U.S. government's doing. This is, uh, what was it again? Uh, Sue Me Terry, the ex-government drone, uh, ex-director of Asian program, a director of Hyundai Motor, whatever it is. She's saying that she's arguing that the United States should develop a nuclear sharing agreement, arrangement with South Korea, one of Washington's most important non-NATO allies, to bolster deterrence and reassure the public of the face of North Korea's looming nuclear threat. This is posted by Foreign Affairs. We, this is the mat we've read this. This is the one. No, uh, foreign policy, both of which have ties to the intelligence community is the point. But the idea here is that they're, they're suggesting that we create a nuclear arrangement with South Korea because, you know, that'll diminish nuclear threats. Well, here's the point. New North Korea raises nuclear stakes. This is where it all goes. So they're justifying more nuclear activity under the guise that we have to everywhere. Why we don't I mean we already went away from this. This is where the whole nuclear proliferation conversation came to play because apparently people before were aware of this deadly threat. Uh, maybe they want this to happen now. I don't understand why they're driving us further toward this problem. Oh, I thought it's something highly in there. The, the bottom line is these are all like Kim Jong-un shooting off ballistic missiles and all they continue to do. And, but the bottom line is, you know why North Korea suddenly became so, so much less of a focus? Because they became nuclear, potentially a, nu a potential nuclear threat. Do you wonder why other countries strive for that while the U.S. government tries to stop it? Because the moment that it happens, they suddenly stop caring about it. Isn't that interesting? At least in the large scheme. Every moment something happened before. Oh, biggest threat to our democracy. And now we barely even hear about it. But the idea is they're aggressively driving toward the idea of more action. Russia declares the end of Ukraine mobilization meaning that they're no longer going to be bringing up more reserves, they claim. And everything they continue to do seems to be pulling back to smaller degrees. But here's what I argue and why I'm talking about this. While that happens, the U.S. sends more arms. In case you didn't know, by the way, the U.S. government just committed another $18.5 billion of your money to Ukraine, to the same extremists on the ground that are killing people right now, civilians, in Donbass and elsewhere, anybody they don't like, and they support that, but don't say that. The point is this, if suddenly Ukraine or Russia suddenly said, OK, we've say we've we've secured Donbass, we've secured the Kherson area, we've secured Crimea. That's all we were trying to do. So we pull back hypothetically. Right. Whether that was ever the case, that's what they say. Well, of course, Ukraine would scream. We won. We did it. We fought them off and we won and they're weak and they're, you know, and use it all to their advantage. But then eventually, and then continue to do all the things they're doing in the Donbass region, which will then drive Russia to have to do something to stop that. 
Let's keep the whole thing going. And I think that's the whole point. All they want is Russia to be endlessly engaged in this. But ask yourself this. If Russia was had designs on overthrowing the world and all of Ukraine, that could have happened by now in regard to Ukraine. Any actual military, there are people who understand what's going on and with the potential and what the, Russia's, even just look at the bombing campaign that happened when they were forced to, they could have done that. They chose not to. They lied about them rolling into Kiev on the very first day. Why did they do that? Because they wanted you to think they were taking the whole country. It was a lie. Tanks weren't rolling into Kiev. That wasn't even happening yet. They were not even on that area. But they said it, and numerous outlets reported it because they wanted that to be the case. They set this up as an insurrection before it ever happened because they used the Azov movement and these other Nazis on the ground to drive that action so they could justify their actions. This has been planned, just like the Great Reset, guys, and we've proven that. You want more? another example? Here's an open statement from the Department of Defense. United States, NATO allies, and partners are working together to train Ukrainian military personnel on new systems and the tactics and techniques that make those weapons so, so effective. Well, it's happening now. Well, we all know that. Now, he still, he still dance the line of acting like they're not involved, but that's them literally being involved. Then it says, this is a continuation of the training the Ukrainian military has received since Russia first invaded the nation in 2014. Well, that's interesting. That's the Pentagon press secretary that literally just said on the record that the Ukraine or rather the U.S. military has been on the ground training their military in Ukraine since 2014. Well, we know this because you're paying attention and you watch the show and we've shown you the data. But that's not supposed to be true. They lied about that up until moments ago saying, no, 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 no. We're not even there. We're not even involved. Remember? It's right there in front of you. But you know this if you're paying attention, because it's also easy to prove if you care to look through the, the narrative. But they're telling you they've been on the ground since 2014, training their military. And you know how much ter- you know how many terrible things happened between 2014 and now? Horrible things. What's that? What, the eight years of Donbass being ethnically cleansed was alongside the U.S. military, apparently, and the CIA. And on top of the fact that they were doing, there were mainstream articles about how terrible it was and how the corruption there was. Look who was there with them. Pretty telling. Now, if you want to know, uh, you know, in general, I wanted to point this out, not just about Ukraine, but like if you have an interesting to- topic you want to look into and you want to check the website, lastamericanvagabond.com, here's the way you do that. Instead of trying to go to the search bar, and there's an easy way to do it. If you just type out the last American vagabond forward slash tag forward slash whatever topic you want to include. There's so, there's, I always point this out. There's a gigantic, a decade's worth of wealth of knowledge, a lot of it from other platforms. Because when we first started this, a lot of it was repost from other Creative Commons. Nowadays, it's all original content, but there's a whole bunch of good stuff back from the past decade. So if you want to put lastamericanvagabond.com forward slash tag forward slash chemtrails forward slash whatever else, there's, you'll find an endless list of information. So Ukraine specifically, you'll find, see, just all the last Ukraine discussions and articles and everything else. So a little insight way to find more things in the last American vagabond. Now, to finish off, the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire points out, well, al-Nusra in Syria, al-Qaeda in Yemen and Libya, Shia jihadists in Iraq, and then Sunni jihadists, Nazis in Ukraine, IDF in Palestine. Is there anywhere in the world that the U.S. government isn't supporting terrorists? Hmm, I can't tell. It's hard to see. Al-Nusra in Syria, those are the moderate rebels. Al-Qaeda in Yemen and Libya, which are currently still dominating inside their controlled territory. Shia jihadists in Iraq, then Sunni jihadists, right? They're playing both that divide around the world as well. Nazis in Ukraine, fascists in Ukraine, neo-Nazis in Ukraine, IDF in Palestine that are actively doing what you just saw. All of that's okay, though. And then, by the way, 
please check the links where they prove all of this stuff, which I don't know why you would need it proven how obvious this stuff is. But as Ron Paul tags that and says, good question. And this is the Ron Paul Institute. This is the rules-based order? Right. Glad you point that out. Oh, I thought I retweeted that. They're screaming about a rules-based order, but apparently those rules, if even in existence, only apply to where they're pointing in the current moment. You know, because that's fair, right? That's equitable. Finally, to finish, I think that's the last one. Yeah. This is a great clip from In Context. Just showing you where, the, the fact that it's always been this way. This is the UK Parliament in 1998. Quote, aren't Arabs terrified? Aren't Iraqis terrified? Don't Arab and Iraqi women weep when their children die? Doesn't bombing strengthen their determination? Yes, 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 and yes. They know all of this. In most cases, they want that to happen. They want them to blow back and do things to be justified later as their reason for going in, right? This, the problem is what he's talking about is that these people are being murdered and they act like that doesn't, it's not inconsidered. But when something happens over here, where we want you to look, well, God forbid, don't worry about the children. Yeah, what about the 500,000 children that McKay, uh, Madeline McCain said, or not Madeline McCain, um, uh, Madeline Albright admitted on the record was worth it. So 500,000 children is worth it for whatever you claim they accomplished, which was destroying everything, as we can now see, lying about everything. is It's worth it. But, I mean, my God. I mean, just think about the comparison to what they're claiming matters today. Well, let's finish with this clip. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with that clip on the way out. That's probably the best way to do that. Oh, no, I have something I want to play on the way out. Let's play this clip right here. Aren't Arabs terrified? Aren't Iraqis terrified? Don't Arab and Iraqi women weep when their children die? Doesn't bombing strengthen their determination? What fools we are to live in a generation for which war is a computer game for our children and just an interesting little channel for news items. Every member of parliament tonight who votes for the government motion will be consciously and deliberately accepting the responsibility for the deaths of innocent people if the war begins, as I fear it will. Now, that's for their decision to take. But this is a quite unique debate in my parliamentary experience where we ask to share responsibility for a decision we won't really be taking with consequences for people who have no part to play in the brutality of the regime which we are dealing with. And I finish with this. On October the 24th, 1945, and the former Prime Minister from Bexley and Oldsick will remember it, the uh, United Nations Charter was passed. And the words of that Charter etched into my mind and moved me, even as I think of them. We, the peoples of the United Nations, determined to save future uh, generations, succeeding generations, from the scourge of war, which twice in our lifetime has caused untold suffering to mankind. That was the pledge of that generation to this generation, and it would be the greatest betrayal of all if we voted to abandon the Charter and take unilateral action and pretend we were doing it in the name of the international community. And I shall vote against the motion for the reasons that I've given the House. Well... Now, not saying I necessarily agree with all the arguments, but that's a pretty stark reality. And I'll let you say goodbye to, to Sierra Vagabond here on the way out. And she's getting pretty big. I also set up an Instagram for her. Let's we'll see if you guys can find it. 
But there's plenty of things for us to fight for, guys. We all have things that are important in our lives. The reality is that everybody does. All around the world. Everybody's got pets and children and things that matter to them. The person over in Iraq or the person over in Yemen, their lives don't matter any less because they're a different color, because they come from a different place. But they sure as hell show you that without saying it with their everyday actions. Every single day, they're letting people think that these people matter more than those people. Even though they'll say different, their actions are showing you that. And that's what we mean by their actions politically. We wait for them to prove one way or the other by their actions. They'll show you every day what they really are if you just look. But thank you for being here, guys. I appreciate you continuing to fight. Every single day is a fight. And that's not by choice. That's the world that they have built around us. And the reality is, you know, life is always a fight. I mean, that's the reality about life in general. Just matters on, you know, what you choose to fight for. I think today they're making that choice for us. And it's not hard to see what we need to fight against. So thank you for being here and being a part of this fight. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. We annually spend on military security alone more than the net income of all United States corporations. Now, this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development. Yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together. As we peer into society's future, we, you and I, and our government, must avoid the impulse to live only for today, plundering for our own ease and convenience the precious resources of tomorrow. We cannot mortgage the material assets of our grandchildren without risking the loss also of their political and spiritual heritage. We want democracy to survive for all generations to come, not to become the insolvent phantom of tomorrow. 